ladies, children, sheep. Some people call me a terrorist. <clears throat> I consider myself a podcaster. Lesson number one. Yeah, I forgot what lesson number one was. What's lesson number one, Brandon? Listeners, welcome back to Last Film Standing, episode number one eighteen. Your conversation, movie review, and news podcast. Yes, listeners, we have come back from the dead, from the digital darkness. Are they? Do they still exist? Have they gone belly up? What is? What is the situation with Last Film Standing? We are back. They'll never <laughs> see me coming. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Jones, and joining me as always, trying to stay connected, being the bigger man, realizing love isn't always returned, trying to find out the truth while staying fit, paying his bills, moonlighting as a contract killer, and waiting unnecessarily long to call for help, the man known only as Z. Thank you. Thank you. I'm 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 back. We're back. It's nice to be back. It's good to be back. Yes, we should present you with a award for Valor Extraordinaire. Valor Extraordinaire, yes. yes. By every alliance nation in <laughs> the alliance nations. And alliance. The alliance, yeah. Allied, allied nations, yeah. Alliance. The alliance, yeah. <laughs> the alliance of allied nations. <laughs> And we are coming to you recorded live May 19th, 2013 from Brooklyn, New York. On today's show, we'll be talking about recent releases, Disconnect, 42, Mud, Pain and Gain, Oblivion, The Iceman, Iron Man 3, The Great Gatsby, as well as Star Trek Into Darkness. And that is a full slate, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> we've been off the air for a few weeks, so that is a... Big time full slate. And uh, yeah, we'll also throw in at the very end some plugs of the week. Indeed. Uh, for those of you just joining us for the very first time um, to be a part of the show, you can always tweet at either myself on Twitter at Lamar Diablo. It's L A M A R Diablo. You can follow Zed here at Last Z Standing. Email us as always at feedback at lastfilmstanding.com or check out our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash lastfilmstanding. So, listeners, Without further ado, <laughs> let's go to the movies. And uh, the first movie we'll discuss is called Disconnect. Uh, it made, um, you know, a fair sum of $124,000, considering it was a very limited release, yeah. as far as I know. Um and uh, it's basically a drama that's centered on a group of people searching for human connections in today's wired world. Um, and it's directed by uh, Henry Alex Rob uh, Rubin. No, Rubin? Yeah. yeah. Uh, who directed Murderball and Girl Interrupted. And it's starring, uh, it's, it's got a pretty impressive cast with, you know, Jason Bateman, Hope Davis, Frank Grillo. Paula Patton uh, and um, Alexander Skarsgård, who you might know from True Blood and some other things. Um, and it was written by Andrew Stern, who uh, also wrote Return to Me. 
Now, this this seems like a quite a strong drama. We don't usually associate Jason Bateman with kind of dramatic roles because he mostly kind of plays Jason Bateman in these comedic <laughs> roles, and he's made a great living off of it, and he does a great job. We we really like him in a lot of those, but um, in this case, we actually see him sort of in this dramatic kind of uh, film that's that's almost on the same theme like. Um, the film that um, that was uh, done with Clive Owen not too long ago about a, a, his daughter who was uh, kind of uh, raped. Yeah, trust. Uh, trust. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's kind of I guess so. Feels like at least from the trailers, like it kind of follows that uh, direction. Uh, you you saw this movie, Brandon. What did you think? What was uh was that sort of the direction that it went in, or? Yeah, um, very much so. It's basically um, the best way to wrap your mind around it is it's crash, but instead of it being race relations, it takes a look at the digital sort of social media, social networking that happens between all of us. So what ends up happening is, you know, again, like whereas in Crash, you kind of had these overlapping storylines based on people having these interactions, based on prejudice or that kind of thing, you have these really cool interconnected stories and disconnect that have to do with, um, uh, like there's a guy who does sort of the live sex show type thing. Um, there's people who are kind of pretending to be different people on Facebook because there's just the avatar and the name. Um, having having interactions. There's people who have identity theft in this, um, and it's really interesting to watch how all of these things kind of interact with each other. Um, Crash was a really great example. There have been other movies that try to do this, and it feels like when someone else's story pops up in this story that it feels a little too convenient or a little too contrived. Um, I think I thought it was okay in Crazy Stupid Love, the way that that kind of happens. Um, I don't remember, Fusey, if you had semi-reservations with the way that that came together a little bit but uh, crazy stupid yeah. love uh, when when yeah. she turns out to it yeah, yeah. um I, I actually enjoyed that it was a kind of a nice funny little uh yeah i i, I didn't mind it at all actually i enjoyed that movie i yeah. didn't think i think you uh liked it a little bit more than i did but i still enjoyed it quite a bit yeah and just with with this movie like it 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 really has this climactic moment in it that um was really cool like it's like all these storylines are kind of building or they're all kind of resolving and then they all have this really really sharp moment that's shot just visually really well um everything kind of slows down in every storyline as everything is crossing over um and they all are kind of in this moment where you're watching it unfold and it just keeps kind of weaving in and out it's like oh this is you know is this going to hit this person is this person going to die is this person this um and then you kind of see the the end result of it and it's just really 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 well told uh, and really well executed um performances across the board i mean speaking of jason bateman he's one of those people that we've spoken about um a little bit i think he's done something dramatic before um and i know we we named it uh several weeks ago and i can't remember what it was but um in this movie yeah see i mean his his sort yeah. of comedic yeah. um uh, characters kind of take over so much yeah. now that it's it's almost hard to remember <laughs> and it's going to going to again because presumably he'll probably be very uh involved with arrested development now for the next however long um but you know he does a really awesome job in this movie and it's something that i i hope he gets to do this more it's very 
uh, reminds me a lot of Dan in Real Life, which is a movie I've brought up several times to Steve Carell, where it was kind of something that you wouldn't necessarily expect from Steve Carell at the time, um, with him kind of being uh, from The Daily Show, I believe, and then kind of transitioning into movies, and then obviously being in The Office, which just wrapped. Um, and he just, you know, Jason Bateman just plays this father really, really well. And the sense of humor that comes with him is just kind of the sense of humor his character would have. Like, he's never trying to be funny. He's never um, trying to kind of be this hilarious sort of character. I think that's what I appreciate about him as a comedian in general. I think he does a really good job of not... um acting too funny like that that's one of those things that where like for example adam sandler rubs me the wrong way when he does this i like him actually when he plays sort of a straight uh more of a person in his comedies um and i appreciate those films a lot more than when he's kind of doing this weird character of like you know retarded kid or something like that that he likes to do yeah with his like weird voices and stuff and that just annoys the hell out of me when i when i see it it's like fingernails on a chalkboard (laughs) but um you know but it's crazy because like he can do like he also does the stuff that i really like and i guess you know people do appreciate it but that that's why i i tend to like jason bateman as a comedian because he does that kind of straight laced guy yeah. really well, sort of normal everyday guy in weird situation. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then the the other sort of just the last thing I want to like uh, kind of definitely speak on with this movie. Um, I think the first property I will say that did this really well uh, was the BBC's Sherlock show, where um, it's set you know Sherlock Holmes set in modern day, and they found a really great way to show text messages and technology um, and seamlessly have it be a part of like the visual language of the show. And in this movie, um, they do it just really, really, really well. And the fr- one of the things I haven't seen uh, executed in a movie before um, that we all do uh, as being people who text and send emails and such, there's a conversation between these two characters and it's going back and forth via text. And one character types something in and then is about to hit send, kind of thinks a little bit better of it deletes and then rewords it and then sends it and i was kind of like yeah it's really interesting because it's like you do get to see sort of this inner monologue of that character i I mean i've done that so many times with text messages because sometimes you'll you'll type a text message and then you'll look at it and be like oh yeah actually this kind of might sound like i'm being an asshole even though it's like a joke or something like that it's it's just in person it would be no issue but when you see it, when you kind of read it out, it just looks weird and it gives a completely different meaning yeah. to what you're trying to say. So, yeah, yeah, so I, just, I can totally see that. That was just really a really great kind of like uh, scene kind of moment in this movie. Um, overall, I think I actually gave this one uh, five out of five stars. Um, don't have anything really to complain about it. Uh, I would highly wow. recommend it just to check out um, check out performances, story, um you know, if you liked Crash, you'll definitely really like this. Uh, if you like interconnected sort of storytelling, you really like this. Um, but just as a movie, it's just it's just really solid. Cool. Well, that's that's high praise coming from Brandon Jones <laughs> for this film. It's a good year for movies. Yeah. So far. But uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, did you did you see this? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Did. So. Definitely. 
So next up, we have 42 um, opened up, obviously, a little while ago. Uh, it's opening weekend, had $27 million, um, and it is the life story of Jackie Robinson and his history-making signing with the Brooklyn Dodgers under the guidance of team executive Branch Rickey. It is directed by Brian, I think it's Hedgeland, Hedgeland, might be Hedgeland, um, but his uh, previous credits are Payback, that Mel Gibson won, uh, The Order in a Knight's Tale, and then stars Chadwick Boseman, Harrison Ford, uh, Christopher Maloney, Lucas Black, and Alan Tudyk. Uh, it is also written by Brian um, Hedgeland, we'll say, uh, who wrote Green Zone, The Taking of Pelham 123, the, uh, the remake, um, which also shares its star with Man on Fire. Um, so I think, like, generally we've agreed on all of the uh, biopics and such that we've seen that we both... <laughs> the, the sound that you are hearing, ladies and gentlemen, we have... Uh, we, we are exper- we, experimenting. Our, our studio has been yeah, infiltrated. Yeah. We are experimenting with the uh, with higher quality mics, and with higher quality mics comes the basically you can hear the thoughts in the building and around you. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see how this. Unfortunately, yeah. our studio is not as of yet uh, soundproofed. It's basically uh, a New York apartment, yeah. uh, and if you live in New York, you know what I mean by a New York apartment. It's yeah. tiny, and you can hear everything around you. Exactly. But exactly. I think overall, it should it should still not be too bad, right? Yeah, I think it'll be fine actually. Yeah. It's the, the the low hiss. We'll 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 see if we can uh, edit it out in uh, some noise reduction software or something. Fix it in post. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think we, we're generally on the same page that we don't tend to like biopics. Uh, the lead performances in them tend to be really, really good. Um, but just the actual dramatization of the story and kind of, it just never really feels, um, I don't know if it, 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 it's just not as dramatic, I think, as it could have been. Um, and so, you know, with movies like Ali, you know, Will Smith, great job, movie, okay. Same thing with Ray, great performance, okay movie. I think Lincoln was probably the best sort of biopic that I've seen, at least based on a, a real character that I actually yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, I, I think also what helps Lincoln is the fact that it's not, um, it's not necessarily like, oh, let's talk about this one person. It's more about this event that this person kind of guided. And I think that's what helps. Yeah, um, that, and then of course there's there's Forrest Gump, which you know is still the greatest biopic of all time <laughs> of a fake person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, do you? I mean, where where does this kind of stand on that sort of level with you? With with as far as biopics I think go? it's it's right in there. I I feel like um, I I feel like it's it's a great story. I feel like it's an important story to tell because I think a lot of people are not aware of it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you hear that name, most people are like, uh, who kind of thing. And, and it's an important figure in, in, in racial relations in the U S and, um, and so I think it's an important story. It's a, it's a good story and there are really good performances, really, really good performances. But overall, as like a movie, yeah, movie. If this was like a made-up story, I I would kind of not give it as much uh, attention and interest I'd because it just yeah. feels kind of like ah, uh, okay, yeah, we've seen it. It's just kind of bland. But um, I think there are some really great points in it, uh, and I and that's why I think it's still worth seeing because of what it is, because of the story that it tells, and kind of certain details that it tells that one might not have known um 
I think it's also um, presents a really good um, example of like a person who um, who does the right thing. And, and, and that's, that's very, you know, we don't see that a lot. Like we see so much, uh, these, these characters who will, um, uh, you know, who, who walk around killing people, doing this, doing fighting back and all of this stuff. But, and, and so we automatically associate bravery with fighting back and, and fighting in general. And, I think this is a wonderful example of where bravery comes from not fighting back. And and there's that line in in um in the trailer where you know uh Harrison Ford and Ch- Chadwick Boseman uh, are are talking and the line is like, "Oh, so you want someone who who's afraid to fight back?" And he says like, "No, I want someone who's not afraid to not fight back or something like that." Yeah. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> but basically like who who's brave enough yeah. enough to not fight back. Yeah. Um and and that shows you throughout the film they've done a really fantastic job of this kind of showing you how much it takes. Like we all of our like kind of I feel like all of my attention was like, you know, is he going to break at this moment or is he going to just like punch somebody and ruin everything that yeah. this, that they're trying to do with that? Or is he going to manage to hold back and just kind of take it and, and make a joke about it that's just so much more powerful than any kind of a punch that he could have thrown at any of these characters, especially Alan Tudyk, who's yeah. like really harassing him during this sort of uh, like <laughs> game that they're having. And it's just really impressive. And so, so that whole like aspect of it was really great to me. But um, so, so there are definitely really amazing aspects on this film um you know then on the other hand break it down is just kind of a film it's okay it's just kind of you know yeah decent it's solid it's a, it's kind of a decent story it's not that impressive but uh there are certain aspects of it that i think are very important and very important to know that there was a real person who did go through this who uh managed to fight through this yeah i mean i was definitely by the end of it um liked it more than I during some of the opening scenes thought I would um I thought it was going to be very very cheesy because the opening scene when it's just like we need to find someone who can like you know be whatever it's like yeah who is that man he's out there somewhere somewhere among the roster among the like minor leagues and I was like hmm (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was like this is a little like heavy-handed like we're trying to find like this legend that we're going to make sort of thing um but you know as you said like there are definitely like moments in the movie on um, the same scene with alan tudyk um i thought it was really really great scene and that they show how easy it is for one generation to pass down beliefs to the other um especially with that kid i just thought that was really, really oh yeah that was nice. um and yeah i mean the movie you know the sports stuff uh you know the actual you know the playing of baseball was shot well and all that such um uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you that I think if you weren't kind of watching the story of someone who actually existed, the movie's a little kind of light on just the, I don't know, just this dramatic punch. Like kind of by the end of it, you're like, oh, it's interesting. Like those are some things I didn't realize before, yeah. that kind of it's, stuff. It's, but it's like, almost more like something 
it feels almost more like something that um you could have read it, it feels yeah. it feels like it would be a more of a book than than as i just about to say that too and it is actually i think the i think the, the it was based book, on yeah. like a, either a book or like the newspaper articles of one of the characters something that the like guy that, was like yeah. sort of you know in the story writing the story um but uh but yeah i mean overall what would you I guess rate 42. Um, I would still, I guess, give it about four stars just because I think it has, uh, it, it, it's an important story. And I know that most people, um, a lot of people, it would be easier for them to see it on a screen and stuff like that. And I think it would be something good to show younger viewers, uh, younger kids, especially in sort of these, um, the, more sort of black neighborhoods where 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 the this anger and this kind of like it's so easy to become violent because of the a lot of the poverty that's happening in sort of these poorer neighborhoods but to show like this shining example of a person who who didn't fight who who actually kind of made his way through kind of like by exhibiting, like I don't know, um, proper behavior. I guess I, it's it's hard to sort of place, but it's just like yeah, nonviolent true, behavior. Yeah. So yeah. so so his his reaction to to somebody else's heckling was not necessarily yeah. like let me kill you, let me violently attack you, but it was like let me kind of make fun of you, and you're gonna end up looking like a dick because because yeah. I'm cool about it. Yeah. You know, I can laugh at, at, at your stupidity. Yeah, I mean, he was able to realize that he was a part of something that was bigger than himself. Like, it didn't become this very, very sort of personal moment, even though it was clearly affecting him personally. Um, it did, but it just was kind of like, okay, like, I can lose, you know, my cool here and kind of maybe I'll win this, like, small moment of, you know, punching this guy in the face or doing whatever, but then... What does that do for everyone trying to come up behind me? The other thing too that I thought was really cool is the uh, they go when they go full circle with uh, that little kid, which is nice. nice yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, a uh, cool little moment. So how how would you rate it? Yeah, same. Um, I think I would just give it four stars. Um, you know, as I said, like it's it's I think it, and it's it's kind of that you know we we've talked um, sort of a, not as, as as apples to apples sort of thing, but when we've talked before about how. The prequels for Star Wars, had they not had Star Wars stamped on them, I don't think they would have made it to a sequel, basically. Um, but they were kind of watchable. This is much, much better than kind of like that kind of having a label, not having a label scenario. Um, but just as we said, I think like there could have been something a little more, um, I don't know. It's 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 like I don't want to just say like it should be more dramatic, but there's there's definitely something... Yeah, I mean, it, as hard it, as it it's hard to kind of make that, um, you know, make that yeah by tr telling a true story and kind of probably staying true to the story yeah. without dramatizing too much and then kind of like making it still, you yeah. know, whatever. Because when you're writing something, you have so much freedom and you can add meaning to things and make them up and put them in there and to kind of symbolize a lot of different things when you're trying to stay true to, to a real life hero in a way um you know it's 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 tough yeah tough to dramatize too much without kind of dishonoring who he was and what he did what he went through right true. so um so yeah yeah and then now we're jumping to uh the next film 
which is called mud. <laughs> um, all right, all right, all right. Um, it, mud made about $2 million, which is actually pretty good for a fairly independent film. Um, and it's a story about two teenage boys who encounter a fugitive and form a pact to help him evade the bounty hunters on his trail and reunite him with his true love. One true love. Um, it was directed by Jeff Nichols, who uh, is uh, who directed also Shotgun Stories and Take Shelter uh, with um, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Uh, I actually never got the chance to see that, but I've heard so many good things about it. I'm gonna try and catch it on uh, on Netflix if it's playing. Uh, it's starring uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Sam Shepard, uh, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Sarah Paulson, Ray McKinnon, and Michael Shannon also. Um, and it is written by Jeff Nichols, who uh, also wrote the aforementioned uh, two films. Um so this seemed really interesting. This is one of those new um, uh, Matthew McConaughey films where he's really kind of stretching um, what he used to do. He was kind of known for being the guy without his shirt in romantic comedies. Now he's the guy without a shirt in uh, a more serious uh, film. He's done some really interesting uh, roles lately. I, I mean, I really loved him in Bernie and um you know he's kind of really taking a turn towards more independent films and wants to kind of really show people and say listen i'm not just like some guy who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing i'm actually i know how to act i'm i'm good at what i do and um he is you know he's 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 doing <laughs> yeah, from he's what i from everything that i'm seeing so far um you know he's doing a great job i i didn't have a chance to see mud but i know you did um how how is this uh film sort of really kind of progressing his career um it's good in the sense that i feel like he's getting much more comfortable and much better in these sort of more adult in sort of dramatic roles um as you said he was he kind of was like the the go-to hunk back in like the 90s um early 2000s yeah definitely um, if you needed someone uh shirtless (laughs) in a movie trying to sweep a girl off her feet i think even like matt damon made a joke about it um on like leno it's kind of gerard butler of the of a little bit before gerard butler jumped into all that (laughs) Um, but yeah, and so like I think Matt Damon even made the joke of you know why does this guy never have a picture uh, with a shirt on kind of thing? Does this he just never had one? Um, and so I think like with him, um, there's an article about him. Uh, I don't think it was for Mud specifically. I think it was for the William Friedkin movie, which I'm um, blanking on a little bit right now. Um, but he basically. Matthew McConaughey said he wanted to do better stuff um, and different stuff, but all the scripts that he were getting were for this romantic comedy sort of role. And he basically just kept saying no, kept saying no, kept saying no. The script stopped coming in. Um, and finally, I think William Friedkin reached out to him to kind of say, hey, I have this role for you. Um, you know, would you be interested? And so that, I think, is what sort of kick-started sort of the, the second renaissance of Matthew McConaughey, where he finally was able to do something that he's been wanting to do with a director who was putting Was it Killer movie. Joe? I think it was Killer Joe, yeah. Um, Elijah, not Elijah Wood. Uh, 
man, so now I'm having, I'm having you problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Emil that, Hirsch. That, Emil Hirsch. That's what happens when you start getting old, man. You're, exactly. you're reaching that age. Exactly. <laughs> Emil Hirsch is in that movie also. Um, but yeah, it's and so with, with Mud, it was cool to watch him. You know, he's he still is that, like, you know, the charming sort of Matthew McConaughey that you've come to know, but then he does have this danger kind of about him um these two kids uh i historically just don't like kids in movies um these kids are like probably portraying slash actually i think they're portraying um i think he says at one point he's like 15 or something like that um the actual actor's age i mean they're they're teenagers and they do a pretty good job of doing this um one of the other sort of stereotypes that's often very, very mishandled in movies, uh, being someone who's lived in Atlanta for, for a while before coming to New York, is kind of the, there is the the cliche sort of uneducated, you know, quote unquote, redneck hillbilly type person. And then there are people who, they are very, I wouldn't say like overeducated or whatever, they're, they're normal, but they do have the dialect and the thing, because that's just where they grew up. That's just the town that they were out, grew up in. And I thought this movie did a really great job of showing these two teenage boys where it's just like, these are just two people that you would know, but they happen to be in the circumstance where both of their families are kind of coming apart at the seams. Um, they're not kind of making the money that, um, you know, a middle class, whatever family should do. And it just, they didn't harp on it either. It was just like, here's a story about these two boys who find Matthew McConaughey on this this island. Um, and then when you do have Matthew McConaughey on this island, it's 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 very, it's I think very few people can pull off this, yeah, there's still a little bit of charm to you. Like, you are kind of a cool person I'd like to have a beer with, but something about you tells me that if I piss you off you're going to kill me kind of thing and Matthew McConaughey has that like this entire time about him but when he's around these kids he still has this like you know your kids and I'm trying not to corrupt you with all the things that I've done um but there is that sense of of danger that that he carries about him um and I think I, I don't know if I would I would go as far as to say maybe this will be the one performance that gets him like nominated but i would say that in the next two or three maybe kind of thing depending on kind of where he goes yeah like you you feel like he's moving in the right direction as far as that goes yeah so well that's good i mean it's nice to see him doing that kind of work because yeah um and then just thematically the movie also is really really solid uh it deals a lot with this father-son sort of thing um sam shepherd plays matthew mcconaughey's father uh they have this sort of estranged relationship i like sam shepherd a lot he, he kind of <laughs> randomly really shows cool. up he acts frequently but well, i always feel surprised he's also, to see he's him. also you know like a, yeah yeah he does a lot more <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's always like oh you're in this movie oh cool awesome um but yeah and so like their relationship is really cool and just kind of seeing like you know like fathers who kind of they're trying to give their sons sort of a better life but when their sons go off course there's kind of the father who just like all right i'll disown you i don't want anything to do with you anymore and then there are the fathers that do kind of get a little bit more involved and so there are kind of really cool parallels between sam shepherd's father um or sam shepherd playing matthew mcconaughey's father this kid who like matthew mcconaughey over the course of the movie is sort of like this surrogate person that he looks up to um and then his actual father played by ray mckinnon um they just have a really really great moment between the two of them where it's kind of um you know like i wanted to do better for you i wanted you to not grow up in this like town on this river like that kind of thing and then uh 
Michael Shannon plays the uncle of um, the basically of the second teenager, um, and he ha- definitely has that sort of like parenting style of I'm not your dad, so just tell me if you need something because I don't know how to raise kids kind of thing. Uh, almost treats it more like a, I'm your friend more than I'm actually responsible for you, which is kind of cool. There's like an unintentional humor there, but it's it's very cool. It's very cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of cool. I, I like that idea because I mean, I have a few uncles and there was definitely a different interaction with them than there was with my parents. And, you know, there was like, a more of a friend relationship but not fully it was kind of like yeah i'm your friend but i'm still looking out for you yeah like i'm still kind of like i'm i'm, I'm still like an adult I'm, I'm gonna look out for you i'm gonna try and sort of help guide you to the right direction but i'm not as strict as your parents you know like i'll let you do certain things you know more than your parents might <laughs> and it's kind of like an interesting sort yeah. of aspect to that so as you were saying that that's what it kind of made me think of but yeah that's that's really nice and so then, uh, um yeah just a, a a small shout out to reese witherspoon hang in there reese you'll 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 be back in the limelight soon enough <laughs> she's back in the limelight all right it's just not in the yeah in the way that i think that she should be or would yeah. like to be in a lot everything of she does like uh, i forgot what movie it was that we reviewed uh late last year that she was in where it was also kind of a less glamorous role she was in it a great deal i don't know remember if she was the female lead or not but she just was like a great performance and the same thing here like she's just a really great actress and i think it's just a it's a hollywood problem more so than a um you know like quote-unquote reese witherspoon problem where it's just like okay like what do we do with female lead talent now because right now that tends to skew more towards the comedies um, yeah. Versus like you know dramatic roles, and then occasionally you'll get the action movie. But yeah, I mean it's uh, it's yeah. yeah. I we have some good actresses uh, coming up, like you know with Carrie Mulligan yeah. and Emma Watson and stuff like that. There's but there's also a lot of great actresses out there working now that just don't really get um, the work that they might deserve. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, overall, yeah. for uh, how did for you my, how did you rate that? I think it's still in that uh, the four star kind of quality as well. Yeah, it's a really solid movie. Um, don't know if I would probably watch it again for any reason, but yeah, it's very solid. I recommend. So some some good choices so far yeah. already. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. As I said, this is a pretty good year for for movies so far. Mm-hmm. So with that, we have Earth is. A memory worth fighting for. Uh, so next up, we have Oblivion, the Tom Cruise movie of several weeks ago. Uh, pulled in $37 million, It's opening weekend. And the synopsis uh, is a veteran assigned to extract Earth's remaining resources begins to question what he knows about his mission and himself. It is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who uh, is only directing credit so far has been Tron Legacy, um, which is actually, I think, all the way back to uh, episode number one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the first movies. It's somewhere, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. The original podcast started. Um, stars Tom Cruise, Morgan Freeman, Olga Kurylenko, Andrea Riseboro, and um, and then is written by Carl Jedusik, uh, who wrote Trespass by Michael De Bruin, um, this is his first feature, and then the story is actually based on a graphic novel uh, that is written by Joseph Kosinski. Um, so one of the 
biggest sort of oh no's or we hope not that came from the marketing of Oblivion. Um, towards the third trailer, uh, Z and I basically kind of agreed. Z pries more into this is what I think is going to happen a lot more than I do. Uh, I try not to specifically to, to I try not to ruin avoid, a movie. avoid yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> trailers, but when, once I see them, I can't stop sort of like yeah. breaking down. I, okay. And then. And, uh, and for me, it's also in a way little, a little bit of a measure of um, of whether this film is actually gonna do something that I don't expect it to, but in a proper and good way, or if, is it just gonna be bland kind of down the line? Like yeah. this is what it is. Yeah. And so with this one, after the third trailer. I was like, oh, man, like, it's probably going to be, like, about this, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And then I kind of became a lot less excited to see this movie. Um, having now seen this movie, although I was thankful that it didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to, I'm not sure that I liked the way that the alternative actually rolled out. Like, how did you feel about... I guess with this movie in particular, the marketing of this secret kind of mystery, and then what yeah. ultimately the mystery. Well, turned out I to. mean, uh, th- this movie is really hard to talk about in the way that I would like to talk about the uh, uh, without giving spoilers away, yeah. at least in sort of a sur- uh, around fashion. Um, overall, I think what this movie really deserves praise for is the look. Yeah. I mean, it's just a stunningly beautiful film. Like, uh, just the shots are just amazing, and all this stuff, and 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 it deals a lot with with like kind of um, because it was shot. A lot of it was shot on locations yeah. and stuff like that, and it does really presents a really kind of interesting sort of um, space of like New York after you know that this whole destruction and stuff like that it was kind of interesting to see you know it's always fun to see um these kind of known places and what this person's uh sort of um apocalypse makes these places look like and it was kind of cool like you had these canyons of new york you know like between buildings and stuff like that um on the other hand, I think the story, while interesting to a degree, ends up uh, basically borrowing. Uh, this is this is film. I feel like that really pays a lot of homage to science fiction films in of the past, and I think maybe a bit too much at times. Um, so what you really end up getting is kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember that from that movie. Oh, yeah, and this is from that movie, and that is from this movie, and this is from that movie. And it's like, yeah, I, the, the rule is in general there's really nothing new. Yeah. You know, almost everything has been said before. Um, every note has been played before. It's just how do you put them together um, to kind of maybe create something novel and something interesting um and this doesn't really succeed um so in as in danger of giving some spoilers away um i'll say that this movie to me is a 
a blockbuster version of Moon. So I don't know if you uh, did you see that film? No, I never saw it. So I would I would recommend that film. It's it's basically like a more independent um, science fiction film done with um, with um, Sam Rockwell uh, playing the main character. And um, actually, the voice of uh, Kevin um, Spacey playing uh, his like um, robot assistant, uh, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Um, anyways, so that film is basically like a one man performance um, of a very, very, very similar story to what kind of in general to what Oblivion is. And uh, it, it really like I I think they know uh, I think it was kind of uh, knowingly that that part of that story is taken because uh, to me at least maybe it signals something or maybe I'm just reading too much into it but there's there are really strong images of the moon being destroyed and they mentioned that so many times in Oblivion then they show like the moon kind of falling apart in the sky and it's still kind of like yeah. broken up in pieces and. Um, that's like a, I, I think a huge sort of like nod to the film Moon and saying like yeah we know the storyline basically is kind of very similar and this is where I got the idea for it, um, and then you know there's like you know the images of two thousand one Space Odyssey yeah. and like uh, mm -hmm. other other films that are kind of like represented in like smaller piece bits and pieces. Um, I, I don't really like think it, it fully succeeds in sort of where it goes. Um, I think it's okay. It's not really just, it didn't blow me away. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed, as I said, the visual stuff. Like I enjoyed, um, I was entertained by it. So, yeah. so there's nothing wrong with sort of that end of it. But uh, in the end, I, I thought it was just kind of like, oh, okay, now we're getting a little too cheesy. And now it's just kind of like, okay, now you're trying to make me fist bump, you know, kind of like, hell yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. And then, and then the way it really ends is actually a little creepy. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, and I, I was, was just like, like was a little unsettled by the uh, way that they were trying really? to. Really? Like, so <laughs> it does not matter to you? Yeah. Like, oh, hey, that's kind <laughs> of weird. Like, yeah. it. it and and I, on the other hand, I just don't agree with the science of it. Um, so so that's like a whole different thing. Like I just don't agree with the idea that memories can travel in that fashion, uh, which basically just the science does not bear. It's impossible. It would not happen. So it just seems kind of stupid to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, as I said, uh, if you really want to see like a really cool sort of sci-fi examination of similar themes and stuff, I would say watch Moon uh, for that. It's it's much slower movie. Clearly, it's not like special effects. It's not going to visually dazzle you. But it has a fantastic story and one of the best acting performances that I've ever seen, hands down. Yeah, I remember um, Joseph Kosinski uh, coming under a lot of flack for that very thing with um, there just not being enough originality to it. Like, it was kind of a collage of other big moments from other movies and such. And I think 
I mean, I would agree with that to a certain extent. Um, as you said, I was still entertained. I felt like very much how I felt at the very end of Tron Legacy, where I was like, yeah, visually, that was really, really cool. Something fell apart for me kind of towards the end of that movie, whereas like everything building up to the ending was, you know, a nice fun ride. I think he's one of those directors that um, I'll kind of talk about this a little bit more in depth with uh, the next film, but I think he's one of those people who he needs the right screenwriter to be able to really maximize his potential kind of thing. Because I think it took Zack Snyder up until, I mean, only two movies really. Um, his Dawn of the Jake remake is actually a cool movie. Um, not a lot of people have seen it or kind of really remember or even associate that with him. It wasn't until 300 yeah, that they were familiar like... familiar with it. Yeah, it was, uh, I can't even think of if it has any body of note um, kind of star, star power-wise in it, but it's well-directed. It's a cool movie. It was just like a solid B-plus kind of movie. And then 300 was such kind of a groundbreaking visual experience that people automatically are like, oh, you know, they associate that with him. Um, and so kind of from 300 well, in, a, on, in a way, he, he has kind of associated himself with that yeah. sort of style with, you know, Sucker Punch and... Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that's who he defined himself after 300 with, you know, Watchmen, with his, like, slow motion, kind of this grand sort of epicness. And, you know, hopefully with Man of Steel, that'll kind of be the first opportunity where if someone else kind of really took the time to craft the story, him as a director only had to nudge it to kind of adapt it into his style um, very little. So it's kind of the best of sort of both worlds. And I feel like Joseph Kaczynski, I don't get a sense of his visual style. It just looks really good. I'd be curious to know, A, what he would do with, like, say, like, a DC or a Marvel movie, and then, B, just what he would do with something that's a little bit tighter story-wise. Yeah. That actually, if all through all through three acts, is just a really tight movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't, I mean, because he was only directed two films, and they're vastly different sort yeah. of style films. Like, you know, in Tron, you have, it's yeah. all special effects. It's all that. And in this film, it from uh, at least as i said from what i read they used a lot of like actual real locations and kind of shot that and then added like you know different things sort of visually into those images so it wasn't like all green screen and stuff like that um which is also a mark of something that uh tom cruise seems to like to do a lot actually uh where he tends to want to um do things in in reality versus versus yeah. kind of green screen it which is cool i i really like it i i think it, i think it uh, yes yeah, so i i read somewhere saying like uh tom cruise finally looks 42 uh at 50 or something like that and i was like <laughs> yeah definitely i mean the dude looks good um but um so so with this you know, at at least if nothing else, I I feel like what he does have is a really kind of good eye to find the right shot. Yeah, and I think that he he definitely has that. Uh, you know, I mean, we we've discussed that there are some directors just that just have that eye that's just amazing. Kind of like M Night Shyamalan, I think he has an amazing eye to to sort of frame and focus and like create a certain look and a certain mood now you know we've kind of disliked a lot of his story choices but um as far as like you know visually uh he's he's really good he's really quite excellent so <laughs> yeah we'll i i hope this doesn't kind of turn into that i don't think this movie's that bad but uh uh you know like or like frustrating or anything it was just kind of like a shrug kind of towards the end it yeah. didn't really like give me that um 
payoff that I hoped I would I would get. Yeah, and the thing too is very, I think almost like Tron Legacy, it felt like the fix was obvious. Like it was like, oh, you just needed to like have a scene with this, or like you needed to do this. Like whereas most of the time it's it's much more ambiguous as we talked about sort of with like forty two, but like. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm gonna be curious to see what he does. What he does after this, and I still like him, and he's on my radar, and I'll definitely go. Uh, he's he's another one of those people that I've given the. All right, I'll throw down fifteen to twenty dollars for an IMAX experience um, to kind of see what you're gonna do, with him. Mm. I can see that. Yeah. And then, and then. And then, and then. What did what did we, you rate that? Actually? Um, I'm kind of torn between a three and a half and a four mainly because with all things being said it's actually a great sci-fi movie um had people not seen a lot of the things that we've seen um just sci-fi wise that it's borrowing from i think you would think that a lot of the things in this movie are actually really really cool um yeah but then again yeah you know, because i've seen a lot of those things it. yeah that's kind of you know, hard to remove yourself from. Um, but then also when I just think of when I've seen things that are like bad sci-fi, I think this is still uh, much beyond that. So it's kind of like, I guess I would go ahead and pull the trigger on a, on a four, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to stay more into like three, three and a half. Yeah. Uh, while I really liked that, I, I was kind of a little... Um, yeah, just a little, somewhat, dis- slightly disappointed with the end, um, and as I said, a little disturbed by the very end. Yeah, because uh, it, it feels like <laughs> it has multiple endings to the film, uh, or they at least two. Try to tonally make something yeah. that's actually, as you said, quite creepy, like a happy yeah. ending, and you're just like, I don't know if. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I feel like that that part was supposed to be sort of uplifting and yeah. happy, and I was just like, um, and. Uh, actually how it should have ended uh, kind of makes a little bit of a fun of that and and just like mm-hmm. instead of one there's like multiple yeah, ones that show up and yeah. it's like and the girl goes like oh hell yeah kind of thing <laughs> it was just like really funny but uh, it ends up being slightly creepy but whatever um, anyway so for me it's like more three three and a half stars um, I think it's just just above average, I would say, um, because of the look and and kind of interesting. But I I wouldn't quite go for. Yeah, I'd have to stop myself before that. <laughs> but then we go to a movie by um, one of our all-time favorite directors. <laughs> No, but one of the directors, <laughs> yes, that Brandon always defends, um, and uh, it's Pain and Gain by Michael Bay. Uh, so, you know, it's all explosions and, and uh, car chases, and then it ends. What's your rating? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So uh, Pain and Gain made about $20 million in its opening weekend, and... Um, it's basically a story of a trio of bodybuilders uh, in Florida who um, who get uh, caught up in uh, an extortion ring scheme and um, and you know that ends up going uh, a little awry, <laughs> just slightly uh, awry, and um, you know it was directed as I said. Uh, by Michael Bay, we know him from The Bad Boys One and Two, Armageddon, 
Transformers uh, series, um, all the Transformers movies, and it's starring Mike, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and Anthony Mackie. Um, it was written by uh, Christopher Marcus and uh, Stephen McFeely, who both together worked on uh, on a couple of films. Uh, uh, on Captain America, the first Avenger, and on the series of the Chronicle of Narnia films, uh, and also on You Kill Me. So they're kind of a writing team. And uh, the story is based on the articles by Pete Collins. Uh, since this is a true story, these articles were um, um, on the actual story as it happened and when it happened in um, in like the late 80s, early 90s, I think, sort of. It was in the 90s, I think. I think it was think the 90s, was, like, yeah. Ended in. yeah. So uh, early, nine, early to sort of mid-90s uh, when the story happened. Um, and, you know, the big question about this was how Michael Bay is going to sort of portray this true story and... Is it going to be Michael Bay-ized um, or <laughs> is it going to be still kind of a very interesting story to see or whatever? I mean, we, we're not familiar with this. It's not something that was, um, you know, that was, I think, common knowledge. I didn't know. Yeah, you were, uh, you were in Florida when all this was... Uh... Going down no, so actually, I, I moved to Florida in uh, 1997. So this gotcha. was I moved to Florida a couple up, yeah. of years after. Gotcha. So, um, so what did you think? How did uh, Michael Bay do justice to a true story, as opposed to sort of his, um, you know, high-end sci-fi explosion-filled <laughs> uh, films that he usually makes? Uh, I think he actually did a really great job. Um, a lot of I've, I've really liked him as a filmmaker mainly because I felt that he made the experience of going to the movies worth it every time. Yeah, I walked out of it kind of being like rolling my eyes a couple times or like the story just not being as tight as it needed to be, but I always felt like I got my money's worth when I went to go watch one of his movies, and I can't really say that of anyone else that's kind of in that same league. Like, I probably Christopher Nolan is there for me but now. But I mean, so, so here's my question, yeah. though. Uh, like maybe in the visual effects you got your money's worth, but then doesn't doesn't the story like carry just as much weight? Because for me the issue in sort of the Transformers films it was just the the story to me like in the last well I didn't see the second one so I have to skip that. I actually personally enjoyed the first one. I thought it was kind of cool, um, and then I just heard such bad things about the second one, and I some I just kind of ended up skipping it. And when we started doing reviews, the third one came out, and so I went and saw it, and I was just disappointed. Um, it it just didn't reach nearly the level that the first one did, or just uh, the level that I would have liked to have seen. So yeah, I mean, um, with I guess when did Transformers two come out? Cause I'm gonna spoil. Uh, it came out <laughs> long enough ago for, yeah. for you to spoil if, if even you, three. Yeah, so, so here's here's your spoiler alert warning. If you, for whatever reason, have been dying to watch the Transformers trilogy, you have not seen them, and it's on your queue right now, uh, skip ahead for about 60 seconds. So that is, that is your warning. And countdown now. All right. Completely agree. Like Transformers 1. Transformers 1 is a solid movie. Transformers 2 is a perfect movie up until the moment where you're led to believe that Optimus Prime is dead. 
And then what ends up happening is there's like 45 minutes of like waiting for him to come back. And you know he's not dead, even though like because he's, he's dead Optimus because Prime. he's Optimus Prime. Yeah. So you're just like, come on, can we just like wrap this up? Like this is taking way come too long, way on. too long. Yeah, just way too long. And then he comes back and then there's like fighting and you're like, had they worked out that like death resurrection thing in a much quicker way, that movie as a whole would have been really, really good. The third one, they and just, then again, yeah. there was also a lot of discussion about uh, the writer strike being during that yeah. time, so that they, they they might have had issues with that and yeah. weren't able to adjust the story the way they wanted to adjust it. Yeah, and then the same thing with the third one. The third one was okay, but it just had issues with the fact that they kind of blatantly it was very public. Uh, Megan Fox's departure. It was very like weird to have this girl just inserted into the story, and then just as a whole, the movie, even though it was epic, um, and as I said, like I really enjoyed watching it on IMAX. Uh, to your point, it just like the story, it was like almost good, um, not bad, but just like almost in this really kind of awkward neutral thing. And that's why I've always, with him in particular, been like, man, I just want someone to give him like a really good script, and I want to see what he can do with that. And in Pain and Gain, it's cool because he does like three or four scenes that are like highly, highly Michael Bay uh, trademark to him that I was like, this is cool that he's still able to do these things in this movie that people who might not have gone to these like, you know, Bad Boys, Armageddon, Transformers kind of movies won't remember like these specific kind of like visual things that he does, but they worked really well in this movie. And the one that I'm thinking of in particular um, that I think he got from Bad Boys, he did it both of those movies, and I think he's done it a third time. He does this thing where he do he goes sort of in a circle, um, like the perimeter of two parallel scenes, and they're in two different rooms, and he's kind of like yeah, digitally cutting. Definitely. And there's a scene in this movie, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's like, that's how this is what Michael Bay does. And like the whole driving on Miami, um, like highways, he's done that in like five movies now. Like, just the way that he films these things. And I also thought it was really, really ironic that the best performance that was not just insert rock here has come from the rock in this movie, where I was like, wow, like you actually like, I can like feel the psychology coming through. Like at first it was awkward for me the first like 15, 20 minutes that he's like talking. And then I was like, no, like I get like your whole character. Like it's like, you know what you're doing, but you're kind of crazy, but not enough to be institute. Like it's just like this weird, but like awesome line that he was like yeah, juggling no, the entire I, movie. I have to say like between him and Mark Wahlberg in this film, they just yeah. nailed it. I have to say I'm a little disappointed with sort of Anthony Mackie's uh, role. I don't know if it was the role itself. He he has you know it's 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 okay, but it just kind of does not feel right. And what I was somewhat disappointed in is that there's so much talk about bodybuilding, and he just does not fully look the part. He just doesn't. He's not big enough. Like that, that was one of those big things because there is guys walking in that yeah. place that are like four times as big as him and muscular and like all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, this doesn't really ring true because he's supposed to be the guy who's doing the steroids. He's like the guy who's like working the hardest, wants to be in the competitions. And no, like you're not even close to competition. Yeah, you're you're bigger than you yeah. normally are, 
but you're not even close to where these guys sh- uh, where you should be as these guys rock is much closer to that character the way it's written the yeah. way he looks i think there was almost they would have almost been served well to have flip-flopped these two guys as far as like roles almost uh now it's hard to say because rock did so well in his performance yeah but as far as like look they would have been almost better served yeah Yeah, i mean with uh as you were saying that i was just like he's older but it might have worked um someone like terry Crews because of his uh his like just kind of like yeah. weird performance that he doesn't like that the old spice commercials and stuff like that but like the thing that it didn't bother me so much uh just because um th- there's a couple of throwaway sort of like lines in there where he is talking about he keeps trying to get bigger but it's like not working kind of thing and he's kind of juiced himself i guess out. maybe that that might be and then i know it, like but... from my own experience like myself and like a few other people that just had that like fast metabolism scanning people like those people don't get me. huge <laughs> yeah they get defined but yeah. they don't get like yeah huge and i was well, like but then again you've never done steroids yeah that's true so yeah <laughs> and done like proper like gym pumping yeah an actual like free rates program and have i've never I mean, had a trainer uh, yeah. i'll tell you this that that when i uh worked out regularly like on sort of like a three times a week schedule plus like you know uh doing more cardio on the weekend um i gained like 15 20 pounds and you know like i wasn't really the only thing that i was taking was protein powder yeah so like no like creatine no any of like the additional substances even like the safe ones um you know i was just taking a little bit of additional protein powder um and and working out regularly but you know i mean on the other hand you know with him as i said like there was a little bit of that like i i like his performance i just didn't there was like a few moments where i was like you just know that doesn't look right like there's a moment (laughs) where he's like standing on like a thing um like kind of like awards or whatever Uh, and he's supposed to have one or something and he's just like standing there and he's like smaller than the other two guys and just not as defined and i was like um yeah doesn't look right unless it's like a uh actually have a friend that i could ask about that but unless it's like a um just body fat percentage thing like that whole aspect he of wouldn't yeah. look like that if he had that low body fat percentage yeah, he would be actually more defined his muscles would be like more cut yeah um but yeah um anyways that that was just my <laughs> kind of a little little sort of like thing that bothered me a little bit yeah. it wasn't that big a deal it was just like one of those like th- it's nitpicking that's what it is Z actually really really does not like anthony mackie this is this is his way of saying. No, that's bullshit. <laughs> I actually uh, really like that guy and, and stuff that he's done, in especially past. in the adjustment bro. Go watch that movie. Yeah, definitely. But um, overall, um, yeah. So so go ahead. Uh, sorry for. Yeah, I mean, so in, I mean, but... I mean, just with uh, yes, yeah, just performance wise, The Rock just really really awesome. You know, the Michael Bay style. Um, I think he's moving on to do Transformers Four. Um, I kind of hope he does taking uh, Mark Wahlberg yeah. with him taking Mark Wahlberg with him. Allegedly, he offered the role to The Rock, and then The Rock turned it down, probably because of uh, the Fast Five schedule, which they're jumping into seven, which is why Justin Lin is like, nah, I'm done. Um, 
But, but didn't they sign on for like three movies when they signed on for five? They also signed on for six and seven automatically. Like, um, I well, think they maybe did. not him, but sort of they they signed to do three that. Films. The principal cast, yes, I would imagine The Rock probably was probably just one, and then as of this one, probably does have the multi thing because as I understand it, seven supposed to be the final one it's obviously making enough money that they'll might try to drive it into the ground even though for six it says all roads led to all this. roads led to this but, yeah um but yeah because they this and yeah, the next one this this and that seven the magnificent seven is probably what we'll call it um <laughs> the fast seven yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible terrible <laughs> um but yeah and so just just michael bay um you know, I hope after Transformers 4, he gets into a rhythm of one for you, one for me, that some other directors in Hollywood have done. Um, this is a passion project of his that I think he's mentioned in like several press things over the last you know 10 years that he's been wanting to do this. And so it's it's cool that he able, was able to do this. It was critically, uh, I think it was like mixed to very positive um, reviews on it. I don't think there were really, it might not even been fresh. Like there was, I don't get a sense that people hated on it. Um, I don't know anyone else who's seen it in person. I think people kind of, they, they were branding it with Michael Bay and I think people presumed it was the usual fodder. Um, and there's like one explosion in the movie which is handled really well, which I thought was funny. I was just like, he probably did it himself. He probably didn't even bring in a team. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, um, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, not pleasantly surprised. I kind of expected this movie to be good. Uh, I don't know why it was just, but I was still pleasantly surprised in that it was even better than I expected it to be. I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, I loved sort of the idea that this is a true story and he found this like really bizarre story and, you know, it's, you know, disturbing at times. And it's what's so, so disturbing about it is how it like all develops and happens. And I, I really like Mar- Mark Wahlberg's, uh, um, acting in this because he's just such a he's like the leader of this crew and he's just an idiot he's like this uneducated idiot who just has you know bigger aspirations than he could possibly ever achieve and you know like that line says it all I like I've I've watched a lot of movies I know what I'm doing kind of thing and um and so it's like really kind of cool to see him play that character and kind of like really guide these guys and he's like and that's part of like Mark Wahlberg he's a nice guy yeah and he comes off as a nice guy but then the things that he does in this film are so disturbing and so like you're fucking kidding but you sort of still see him as a nice guy because he's still a really nice guy around still, everything yeah. that's happening yeah. there you know and it's just like like it's insane and so like there are certain things that i really think that michael bay did amazingly well one is that you have multiple narrators yeah and that may not that may seem like a little awkward and a little odd but i feel like it really really punches the point of sort of the bigger point of this this whole story and and which to me seemed like yeah uh lugo is kind of um the main character in a way like he is the protagonist of this telling of the story but it's not his story 
Yeah. It's not his story. It's story of all these different people. And that's why all these different people. And it's kind of like the idea that, that we always feel like we're the protagonists of our lives. Like we're, we're, the, we're the main character in our story. But then rarely do we realize or, or do we think about the fact that everyone sees themselves that way and it's everyone's story so the life that we live in is not just my story it's like the story of my girlfriend and the story of my parents and the story of all the friends and all the people that i come in contact with that i deal with on every day basis they have their own stories going and so in a way what i do really deeply influences everyone else around me and 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 changes their stories and adjusts them and and so like i thought that was like such a a, a really strong tool to do that um because there was a moment when when you know i started realizing oh shit he's not the only narrator there's this yeah. person there's the rock and everybody else has a, a narration and ed harris and you know and i was like why is he doing this this is kind of awkward and then sort of dawned on me and i was like wow this is actually really a fantastic like sort of way to to kind of cement this idea and so so i really liked that choice and um you know it really kind of shows that you know michael bay is more of a filmmaker than just kind of a we're, we'll make a big movie with a bunch of explosions and uh special effects and who cares about what what it tells us yeah. like i feel like this this really this film really kind of uh does that and i think um my favorite scene of this entire film is um and i'll just sort of um to leave it to not give too much away i'll just say there's a moment where there's uh, where some subtitles flash on the screen saying this is still yeah. a true story. <laughs> and I think that was probably my favorite moment of the film. When I saw that, I just wanted to laugh out loud and just say, wow, holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, because it, you kind of, by that point, you're kind of really drifted away and you're watching a movie and that comes on screen and kind of like juts you back into sort of like reality and you're just kind of like, holy fuck <laughs> and so it's really really uh really kind of a cool moment i think in that, in that film yeah very true but uh so what did you uh what did you rate this at um you know people would uh you know they they would never assume that we would ever go this high in michael bay uh, i actually gave this a four and a half out of five um I thought it was just really, really solid. I don't really think there's anything necessarily I would take away from it. Um, as far as based on true stories go, this is actually one of the like most entertaining and just like cool experiences. Um, and then again, just the fact that he was able to, to date, give The Rock like this role. That I'd kind of forgotten like about how much he sort of starts to unravel and with like that scene in particular. But um, it's just you know, it's it's a cool movie. It's it's one of those things that. You know, we've been waiting for, with with other directors, like M. Night Shyamalan, for instance, where it's just like, cool, like, your earlier movies were, like, really, really tight. Like, it was a perfect sync of, like, your style and the stories you wanted, to, you chose to tell. Um, in his particular, he was a writer-director, Michael Bay. He just kind of, you know, kind of took on these roles. And then as their careers kind of jutted out and expanded... It was like, all right, you're you're growing in the visual language of what you like to do, but the storytelling aspect hasn't really caught up with that yet. Um, and Pain and Gain, I think, is just a really solid 
um, movie for him, um, and really for any director. And I kind of, I, I hope he does smaller stuff in the future, because um, I feel like that's when he's when he's when he kind of doesn't have to put on this grand show, and he can really focus on this is the best way to tell this story. I think he kind of killed it with this. Yeah, I'm I'm fully with you. I think um, I, I I would rate it just about the same as you did I, I would say about four and a half uh you know it's it's very worth it it was a really cool film to see and and it shows you what a director um can do when I feel like he probably has more freedom than he had in the past sort of like I'm assuming even though it's Michael Bay he still has to deal with the entire studio uh teams you know when there is a film that's that costs 200 to 400 million dollars to make or whatever it was for the Transformers films so he's probably you know very much in that mode of like oh let's make it as bland let's let's then uh, you know then there's all these people who come in and say well no cut that cut this we don't want that we want this kind of thing so um but in this film i feel like he probably had the freedom to sort of tell the story he wanted to play around with it and make some crazy awesome choices and things and he does did it really well and uh you know, told a true story in a very entertaining way. And so, like, maybe these are the people that should tell true stories versus people who uh, <laughs> sort of tend to tell true stories. Michael maybe. Bay directs Lincoln. Yes. Well, you know, hey, the, him and uh, yeah. Spielberg are buddies, you know. They, they work together on a lot of stuff. So. so, yeah. And then, after Pain and Gain, we go to... Uh, an American classic. Yes, the one and that most people claim to have read. I thought that I had read it and clearly had not by. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> think I did because, you know, I didn't grow up here. Uh, so I don't really remember ever reading this book. So yeah. I will say no. Um, but the book is, or the movie is, The Great Gatsby. Uh, the Great Gatsby took about fifty million in its first weekend, uh, just over that. And um, it's a story about a Midwestern war veteran who finds himself drawn to the past and the lifestyle of his millionaire neighbor. Um, it was directed by Baz Luhrmann, who's known for uh, Moulin Rouge, Australia, and Romeo and Juliet, uh, his uh, collaboration with the star of this film, Leonardo DiCaprio. It was one of his first movies, and that was a pretty cool movie. I remember seeing it sort of, at yeah. least at the time. Yeah. I don't know how well how it, it holds kind up, of yeah. holds up, but, you know, I was younger and I really enjoyed it. Um, it also stars, uh, along with Leo, uh, Carey Mulligan, Joel Edgerton, and to Toby Maguire, who I didn't know, but apparently him and Leo are good buddies. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this was written by Baz Luhrmann, uh, who wrote the aforementioned, and uh, Craig, uh, Craig Pierce, uh, who worked on Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet, and uh, it's clearly based on the story by f scott fitzgerald um so this film seems like uh kind of a you know 
from from the trailers and everything, it seems like it has sort of that Buzz Lerman feel to it, uh, at least look to it, what I mean. Um, uh, he tends to uh, have a specific sort of almost more theatrical look to his films. Yeah. Um, and so... And and also what he tends to do, which is one thing that really annoys the hell out of me, uh, and I don't know why, but it just kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way, is he tends to take current music, uh, current popular music, and kind of transpose it and throw it into these films and kind of make it be the music of the time. And it really rubs me the wrong way because I feel like it kind of really sets you in this kind of weird frame of mind and then you start paying attention to this music versus sort of that kind of feel of like really immersing yourself in the time and uh, period. Um and so so how did that whole like aspect of the look which I actually think was interesting from the trailers I, I didn't see the film itself but i thought the look was really good um but how did that kind of mesh with the sort of his sound uh development and what he does with that um and how did that whole thing come together and did it really portray sort of a good story well, I mean, as far as the music is concerned, I do remember reading a couple of uh, articles where people were specifically talking about that um, and having sharing the same pet peeve that you did. Um, I personally, that hasn't ever really bothered me, um, and I can't really think of other movies that have done that where it's like, let well, me that's, show. I mean, it's kind of something that he does, and then that's, that's what like really kind of bugged me about Moulin Rouge when you hear like uh, Nirvana, like kind of done in this way and you're just like what the <laughs> fuck and it just totally i felt like it would normally like takes me out of the film itself i mean there are definitely moments when you hear jay-z and kanye singing that you're just kind of like oh this is the jay-z and kanye song oh that's an interesting choice but it wasn't so much like oh like now i'm pulled out of the scene it was kind of one of those things that made me think after the movie where i was like Oh, I wonder why you wouldn't then just do something similar to what you did with Romeo and Juliet and kind of bring it into present day. Do everything that you're doing, but just kind of do the present day version of it. Um, but to that point, because of the nature of the story being what it is, I guess it would have to kind of take place during, um, you know, sort of this time period because there's the post-war aspect of it. Uh, which I guess you could argue you could do the whole, you know, all the things that are happening in the Middle East now, but it's not a world war. Um, New York being built, the way that people are making money, the kind of class of cars and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I myself haven't ever really been a fan of any of his movies, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they tend to have uh, music plays just such a huge role in those movies, and I feel like if you aren't really into the music, um, it just kind of... The, it's almost a grand music video, more so than musical, I would say, um, for most of his movies. And Romeo and Juliet, I did like. Um, and then with this movie, there's big performance kind of pieces, but they're less. Um, there are there are scenes happening kind of inside of those performances with you know people giving dialogue and exchanging all that kind of stuff. Um, the one thing about this movie, though, like the, the visually. It's very, very impressive. Uh, it harkens back to sort of what I was saying earlier about just Kaczynski, where it's like, it'd be cool to see him do something that you wouldn't quite expect. Um, 
you know, again, like just a really serious yeah, movie. I, I don't know how Australia was. I know that it yeah, I didn't see that. wasn't very unsuccessful. And uh, I don't know if, if it followed this kind of similar style or if it was maybe a departure. Yeah, I think it had, uh, well, Hugh Jackman. I believe it was singing with Nicole Kidman as well. I was it? I was singing. Yeah. Uh, I, I know it's uh, Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, yeah. but yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> um, and it just, you know, the visual style, like I kind of want to see him do something that maybe he wouldn't typically do. And I always go back to the example of um, Woody Allen, um, where people, you know, he has a very, very specific movie that he does, and then when he's broken out of it, he's been really, really surprisingly um, awesome with Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Match Point, Midnight in Paris, I think is probably a little bit between new and old Woody Allen style. Um, and just when he's done those movies, it's kind of been like, oh, cool, yeah, forget that sometimes you don't just go through the motions, which is kind of what his movies feel like, but at the same time, it almost feels like he's kind of filming... Um, a personal diary or like a biography or kind of an inner thought that he has. Um, but, you know, Baz Luhrmann, the, the visually, as I said, and it's really, really impressive. The story is okay. I can't really speak to the adaptation thing, which we said we always try to go to the movie first and kind of, you know, address the book later. With regards to the movie, I just kind of walked away from the movie with a shrug. Um, it's, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is good, and, you know, he looks good in a suit. I kind of caught myself in the movie kind of being like, you know, I wonder if Leonardo DiCaprio has ever been in a, oh yeah, that's right, Inception. I should watch Inception again. Um, Carrie Mulligan is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carrie Mulligan is, you know, Carrie Mulligan, really solid, Joel Edgerton, really solid, Tony McGuire, I didn't dislike as much as I do. He's one of those people where, for some reason, I just don't enjoy watching him act and it's not like he's a bad actor kind of thing there's just something about him that just kind of doesn't resonate with me i liked him in spider-man but in some of the other stuff he's done i'm just kind of eh, kind of oh well um and then kind of you know once this story there's this love aspect to it and i was kind of like okay this is cool what's going on between Leonardo DiCaprio and Carrie Mulligan's character and I was expecting there to be a little bit more punch to that because of the way the trailers are like now everything makes sense like this whole like oh what is going to happen like there's going to be this big giant scene and then there kind of isn't there's just sort of this theatrical dialogue scene that again is well acted well shot but just doesn't really hit you I think the way that it's supposed to um, and then when the movie kind of concludes and wraps up, it was just, all right. It's like I saw The Great Gatsby, and that's pretty much, yeah. I wonder if uh, one would take something uh, more, something different away from it if uh, you had read the book. Um, I think so. If you were familiar with yeah. the book, maybe that would add uh, more depth to the characters and stuff. So, I, so that might be one of those things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we got a lot of, um, well, I got a lot of, like, into conversations about that with uh, people who would really, really enjoy the Hunger Games series um, and talking about that movie, and I was just kind of like, you know, like, Jennifer Lawrence's character Katniss just kind of is really plain. There's not really, like, a whole lot going on in the movie. The movie was okay, and da-da-da-da, and every single person who read the book really loved the movie, and I think they were bringing the inner monologue that they had from the book's into the movie with them it's like oh this is that, that part of the book where she must have been thinking this and maybe it screen direction wise it was written that way so like 
if in the book she you know runs down this hallway and as she's running down the hallway she's thinking blah 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 blah. and like maybe in the movie she runs down the hallway and like she has like a dramatic tear and then walks around like maybe like the book complements the movie in that regard but then watching the movie not having that other knowledge it was just like okay like that was all right that was an interesting choice but like in the context of the movie that didn't like move me to kind of feel any more or less no definitely i agree and and we've said before like we prefer um i prefer myself um if if a film can stand on its own yeah uh i i don't necessarily want to want to have to have read the book i don't mind reading books i mean i read a lot myself uh (laughs) and i enjoy reading but i i don't want to have to have read the book in order to understand the movie and to feel like the movie is complete um best example for me is shining um great book on its own great movie on its own they completely don't like that was part of uh, Stephen King's frustration because he, why he was unhappy with the product is because the film goes off in a, in a somewhat different direction, still carries a lot of the same themes and whatever else, um, but it goes off in its own direction. That was because, uh, you know, Kubrick was such a strong-headed person and he had his view of what this should be and he made an amazing movie that is based on this story in the book but kind of takes its own view of it and um you know does it as well if not better than the book you know so it's so it's kind of like one of those yeah i understand adapting the book into a into a movie but it has to the film has to stand on its own as a great movie it can't be like well read the book and and watch the movie and then you'll kind of get the full picture and it's just too much commitment, I feel. I yeah. mean, it, it's an interesting idea, but it's too much commitment from people. I, I, I think people most of the time don't want to do both. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so then, I mean, overall, the uh, Great Gatsby, it's it's really just average to me. Like, I kind of, I think I'm just going to give it a three actually um and it's not really to speak against the movie i just kind of felt like there was nothing memorable besides the you know when you watch the trailers and you do get this really cool visual sort of language um that's going on there wasn't really anything in addition to the scenes that you're seeing in the trailer visually that kind of like stood out at me or kind of was really striking um so we thought that the technology would come from the sky, but it actually came from a rift in the Pacific Ocean into another dimension. You mean it came from our recorder and was playing with us? Messing. What? Huh? <laughs> Bra. And so. They that- will never see me coming. <laughs> We'll cancel the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so looking forward to that, by the way. All right. Um, yeah. So now we're done with the uh, Great Gatsby. Yeah. And so next up, we have The Iceman. Uh, pulled in 87000 for its opening weekend. Uh, limited release for only four theaters. Um, again, most of the time when we do say limited release, that's generally the case. Uh, two to four is what I would say. Um, and if not exclusively in New York, sometimes New York and L.A., for those that don't know. 
Um, so then what we have for The Iceman is about the true story of Richard Kuklinski, the notorious contract killer and family man. When finally arrested in 1986, neither his wife nor daughters had any clue about his real profession. It is directed by Ariel Vroman, who's responsible for Donica. Um, is, that the, is that one movie? Donica RX or just Donica and RX? You know. Uh, Donica and RX. And RX Prescription. Yes. Stars Michael Shannon, Winona Ryder, uh, Chris Evans, Ray Liotta, and David Schwimmer. Yeah, that took me a second in the movie. I was I like, know, I was like right? it looks me like too. him. Yeah, I was him. like, what? But it does look like him. No, it can't and, be. and we mentioned him earlier in uh, connection with uh, Trust, the yeah. film uh, he directed, his, yeah. actually. That was his. Uh, and then this is written by Morgan Land, who worked on RX, and then Ariel Vroman, who worked on RX. Uh, and the story is by a, uh, a book by Anthony Bruno and documentary by Jim Fable. So The Iceman, um, again, was one of those movies I was really fortunate to not know a thing about. Um, I had heard about it on a couple of other podcasts, I think, in passing, and then um, maybe in one or two like IndieWire articles or something like that, and really only in connection to, oh, this is Michael Shannon, kind of just his latest movie. Um, and I think it also had something to do with uh, Jeff Nichols, um, who we'd spoken about earlier with, uh, I think it was Jeff Nichols, but anyway, but the uh, Take Shelter and uh, Shotgun stories. Not Jeff Nichols. Is that not? Might have been Jeff Nichols. I want to say it was. It was Jeff Nichols. There you go. So now there you go. Z has me doubting my own memory. Full circle. Full circle. So he worked great on his movies there. Uh, and then, you know, Michael Shannon comes down here. We know that he's coming up to be General Zod in The Man of Steel. But for the Iceman, how does he do as the hitman type of thing? Actually, what I'll we'll say about this, since we, we do have the, the roster of nine movies that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, we have another movie in the roster that we talked about that is based on a true story. Um that we both really enjoyed, you know, directing-wise, story-wise, well, performance-wise. Well, we have two more movies. Right. 42 yeah. and Pain and Game. That is true, too. So in the in the grand scheme of movies based on a true story, how do you feel Iceman performs? Um, I, th- I would say The Iceman, is, um, as a film, is probably closer to uh 42 than it is to um to pain and gain it's not the kind of entertaining like party like whatever you know kind of film that you almost forget that you're watching a a real life story it's actually clearly a sort of um you know a story about this guy but um so so you you get that sense and but on the other hand, like 42, it has some really amazing performances, um, especially by uh, uh, Michael yeah, Shannon. Yeah. Um, just his sort of, and, and <clears throat> we know, um, I, I really like him as an actor. I really do. Like I, I was even blown away by him in Premium Rush, which was just kind of one of those movies that you forget all about. However, his performance in that movie made it stand out for me because he just plays this sort of he has this really character that could have been just, you know, played by a lot of people and just been kind of this uh, by the numbers uh, corrupt cop. But in Michael Shannon's hand, it turned into something much more than that. 
there was this guy who was like m- like mentally somewhat like unhinged and you were just <laughs> you you just kind of ha- had a, the sense of terror with him around you sort of and and i think um with the Iceman, he he does another sort of performance where just the depth of this character is just so beautifully set up and and you sense that you know here's this character uh as as we watch more of the movie we we find out more about like you know also his family history and all of that kind of stuff and you really find out so here is someone who to be honest this is probably dexter okay um and in real life yeah you know not in this fantasy world that Dexter lives in, but this is Dexter in real life. This is a actual sociopath who has managed to develop a relationship and certain emotional connections with a small, very, very small group of people. Like, it's literally just his family, his wife and his kids, and maybe this one guy that his kind of buddy uh, yeah, that he has. Um, everyone else to him just does not matter. But he also tends to have these sociopathic um, uh, tendencies. A- as you watch the film, you can kind of see this kind of this character that um, where while he's working, he's content. Everything is going well. Everything is perfect. But now he's not working. Now he, I think, starts to get not only anxious because he's um he's you know maybe struggling a little bit financially and whatever but i think also there's this whole level of like i haven't killed anyone yeah and 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 that rage is kind of boiling and you simmering underneath him and you can so see this within him and and it's just such an interesting character and and that really kind of wins you over and shows you sort of like how, you know, this guy really, you know, I mean, how this guy <laughs> killed, you know, by by all accounts, 100 people. But I will have to say also a, a amazing, like really surprising performance, not like, like so mind blowing, but like really surprising comes from um, Chris Evans, Chris Evans. Yeah. Um, so Chris Evans in this film, I did not even like, I remember almost like reading that he was in there and I was like, oh, Chris Evans is going to play whatever character in it. And then, um, you know, when I was started watching the film, when I went into the movie theater, I didn't really think about that. It didn't never cross my mind. I'm watching this movie and I see this character and it's all happening. I did not realize it was Chris Evans until the second time that they crossed paths and they're like talking and I was like, oh shit, this is Chris Evans. Yeah. And I, I was really like pleasantly surprised by that and, and happy about the fact that I just totally like, I mean, granted he's wearing, you know, he's like almost in disguise, but you know, even in disguise, you know, oftentimes you can tell these these actors yeah. because of certain things that they do. And we've seen a lot of stuff that Chris Evans has done. And it was kind of cool to see him play a somewhat different character. I feel he like he's does. actually one of the most underrated actors. And I was talking to someone at work about this where I was like, you know, like he, I can't tell what 
happened to him because it's like he he did um not fast the fantastic Fantastic four Four. happened to him that's what happened to him well the thing is it's like i've he he does fantastic four and he actually was like he's pretty much the reason why me and you know Solomon went to go watch that movie and he's really funny in a, in a movie that's like kind of yeah. almost terrible but I it's agree. like what's yeah. watchable the, the film is is, yeah. is is pretty bad but uh but his performance yeah. is okay it's just yeah. a lot of fun to he watch does. him and and things that he's been in outside of that and other superhero movies he's been really good like in sunshine he's really good and like um and i forgot what movie it is where he plays um he plays like a lawyer or something like that i want to say it's like the cut or something like that it's on netflix now and he's really good in that and it's one of those things where i'm like is it an agent thing is it a hollywood perception thing is it a like oh well you're just still the guy from you know fantastic four because he he's he comes off to me especially with this movie being front and center like the the reason why like he's a good character actor and to your point like i remember yeah. seeing chris well, evans I mean, in the opening crop like titles and like same thing like it wasn't until like the second or third time where I was like, not so much thinking, oh, when is Chris Evans going to show up? And I was like, oh, that guy kind of, re- oh, wow. Like, it that's is, him. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, because he had like the voice thing. And, you know, to your point, like definitely like the sunglasses, the makeup and his whole persona, like his whole, you know, strategy and everything in the movie is like just this giant, you know, character thing. But it's just like, it's awesome that he can disappear inside of that. And like right now yeah. he's in a part of the largest Yeah, no, and, and you know what? I, I think he doesn't doesn't even get as enough credit for the fact that um, on one side he played uh, in Fantastic Four this like you know kind of mouthpiece. He's just like really like fast talker, making jokes left and right, all this kind of stuff. And then in Captain America, there's none of that. He's like the the serious guy. He's like Mr. you know, goody two shoes, let's do the right thing kind of like he doesn't crack a smile, doesn't make any jokes. It's like you know, the character that Tony Stark would normally be. You know, yeah. uh like uh I mean he would normally be the character of like Tony Stark, kind of like the guy who yeah. makes jokes and kind of his quips and all of that stuff. Uh so you know, it was it was kind of it's kind of cool because he plays such two different characters, and you completely buy him in both those characters. So yeah. it's you know it's uh, I guess you're right. You know, I do agree he is uh, underrated, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was great. Um, as you said, Michael Shannon was really great. Uh, I really enjoyed how he was able to. Because uh, I was laughing, I was like, you know, not that I've done the the contract killing lifestyle, but I, I did. <laughs> I did really, really connect with. But I yeah. uh, did the but, contract killing yeah. lifestyle. Uh, uh, only, oh, only like forty <laughs> people. I, I didn't quite reach the level of the Iceman, right? Exactly. Uh, I was shaved my head, had a barcode <laughs> on the back. I, I was the cold man, not the Iceman. Um, but see, the thing was, is like he. The Iceman in '42, huh? Yeah. I was I was chill. I was I was chill. I'm considered chill, but not the ice man. Um, but then the thing is, it's like he he does this thing that really kind of connected with me, where it's just like he's having this 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 sort of screaming match with his wife, um, and she's just like, oh, you don't care about stuff, da 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 da, and he like has this moment where he's just like, I do care. You're the only thing I care about. But it's just like there's this persona to him that's just like almost like what you were saying, where it's like, yeah, there's like the people that he like doesn't really care about or he interacts with and then there's a small niche of people where it's just like okay these well are the people. actually like his his line which was kind of really cool which i thought in that in that connection is like i care about you 
and you're the only thing I care about. Like everybody yeah. else can go to fucking hell. I'll kill them in a second, kind yeah. of thing, you know. And that's where like <laughs> that mentality is like, oh yeah, yeah, I get, I totally get this sort of like. There's that sociopathic sense, and there there's that kind of like almost. Uh, where, yeah. Whereas I said that's why I think of like Dexter in, in a way like that connection. Um, yeah, and then just outside of that, you know, I thought actually the story was really cool. Um, again, like not having a, I, I I had vague memories of this thing that was you know this Kuklinski whatever thing. Um, it probably would have just been a news story that I would have seen in passing and not given a second thought to because the name sounded really familiar and kind of something it may have just been something that came up when this movie was was first being written or you know of. there was actually um this movie was mentioned um i believe like last year or something that's why i was surprised all of a sudden when i saw it was coming out i was like i thought this movie came out last year so i don't know if it was delayed or what, what it was, was a happening festival last year maybe but uh, could have been yeah. so um I just remember seeing, like, reading about it and seeing, like, the image uh, that was on the poster eventually um, and all of that. So so that's why I was like, oh, wait, this is coming out now? I didn't miss it? Because I thought I I'd just missed it kind of in the, yeah. you know, <laughs> the blaze of uh, films. Um, but so anything else sort of that you... Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, again, it was one of those movies where I didn't really have anything um, negative or detracting to say um, to say about it. Just by the time I had finished it, I just kind of was just blown away by the performances, uh, by the fact that there was this person that did kind of exist out there. Um, and, you know, when they do the usual stats of what happened to people and all that stuff sort of the end, was kind of impressed but sort of... I guess unnerved by it to a certain extent um but then when you think about it you know it's just like the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and you do watch some of these movies just forensics and you could literally it's like if you were if you just walked away and didn't talk about anything the amount of things that you could do then versus now it's just kind of astounding sometimes to think about yeah definitely and i and i would i would tend to say that you know i mean even now i would think that um forensics are not quite at the CSI level, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, like maybe they had there. Maybe that kind of technology exists for yeah. all of the stuff that they do. <laughs> However, I doubt that every police district everywhere in the U.S. uses that. I so it's a... probably mostly like you know, kind of uh, you know, law and order kind of thing. You know, where they just kind of go around asking questions, figuring things out, and then they just eventually put two and two together. You know, like I, I would assume most murders, you know, are easily figured out. Um, it's just that kind of small subset, and you know. Yeah. Spe speaking of uh, crime stuff, so I had a, um, I actually was on jury duty uh, a couple of weeks ago, and. Are you allowed to talk about yeah, it? Yeah, the case is, is resolved, it? but I'm not going to get into specifics, but the case is resolved. And they, there was a, there's a surveillance video, and what cracked me up is all I could think of, just can we just can we just zoom in on this corner right here? Because it's like, I feel like... Enhance. <laughs> enhance. Zoom in. No, wait. Go back. Like, it's just that whole aspect of it. Because when you look at some of these, you know, closed circuit videos, which made me kind of laugh, because I was like, this would be infinitely easier if it wasn't tucked in the corner of the room. Like, there's there's a point where I was like, if you literally had a camera on the register, 
th this would be solved instantly. Like, cause just the nature of what this case is, and I was just like, I wonder why no one does that. And they're all old school registers, and it's not like you have like high tech, whatever things. Yeah. But I was like, literally, if you did the way that laptops just have that camera in them, like I was like, this would be just cut and dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, it, that's all goes to the cost of you know, yeah, doing business. So. <laughs> So yeah, um, but then the Iceman. How would you rate uh, the Iceman? What, what what would your grade be in our? See, and again, like it's, five stars? it's we've had a uh, a really solid. Um, I guess May slash April has just been a really good month. Uh, I probably I'm in that four to four and a half range, uh, and really that point five is Michael Shannon and Chris Evans' performance that just kind of elevated a story that otherwise would have been sort of not forgotten but just kind of like oh that was a good movie to oh yeah and then remember michael shannon in or remember chris evans in kind of thing it's the same thing that when we spoke about spring breakers every single time i see a james franco in a movie now i'm gonna think back to spring breakers and be like yeah he was really good in that maybe not so good in this but like that was the movie you should go watch if you yeah so, if you want to see yeah. his actual acting chops so yeah. so to say um <clears throat> i'm i'm at a solid four for this film um i really enjoyed it um i think you know the depth of the characters i really do uh, there uh you know maybe even though you know as you said l leaning maybe a little bit towards 4.5 but i don't know if i'd quite go there just because uh i feel like I, I would have liked to have seen, uh, you know, and, and this is, of course, now going away from the real life, you know, more sort of a dramatic, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, so, something like the a little more. The Transformer stuff yeah, that you hate. Like, <laughs> no, 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 not necessarily the Transformer stuff, but, you know. The slow-mo. Just something sort yeah. of that, and not visually necessarily, but um, something that kind of, um, you know, story-wise uh kind of discusses a little bit more but um that that's just kind of like you know a dramatic license and stuff like that that we would you know sometimes like to see but then again if you're trying to stay true to the story and the story of the person and story of all the people that were hurt by him and all of that kind of stuff you you kind of forget that you yeah. know you kind of forget this guy killed 100 people and and it's interesting well actually the biggest thought that went through my head actually and this is sort of more of a philosophical uh conversation i guess um but one of the biggest thoughts was um i saw this movie right after basically shortly after the whole uh boston uh, uh bombings and um and I think it's really interesting that, you know, in that uh, action, those guys killed, um, you know, I, I can't remember how I many I want to say people. it was like 20-something. So, yeah. so, you know, about 20 people died in that. And this guy killed, uh, you know, four times as many people or, you know, five yeah. times as many people almost. And, you know, our hate the the level of hate that's directed at those guys and the level of hate that's directed at him is completely different and it's it's interesting you know yeah. uh, i guess you know f from our assumption is like you know who did he kill who did they kill they killed innocents he killed you know mostly other criminals yeah you know or whatever else or people who 
well, if you really think about it, oftentimes it probably even p people who, um, you know, were trying to do something for their families and just kind of got involved with the wrong people. But you never know. And, and it's sort of like that that's kind of like that a little bit of a double standard that we have in the society in our life that kind of like i don't know it just crossed my mind as, yeah. uh, as i left the theater and i was like yeah so he is almost in a way seen as like uh you know this character that's intriguing and like all this stuff but they're seen as like the worst scum of the earth kind of thing yeah that's true that's very interesting. so anyways but then talking about heroes and villains <laughs> and who's good and who's bad and <clears throat> The question comes, what will Iron Man do? They will never see me coming. Uh, Iron Man 3 finally came out. Uh, big buzz about this movie. Made a shit ton of money. First Second weekend. First weekend. All time. $174 million. That's just one weekend. And that's just domestic. Yeah. I think it just domestic in one weekend. Half a billion by the end of that week, uh, just internationally. Internationally, yeah. it was also very high. It was like I think yeah. it was. I mean, two, talk about yeah. making your money back. Yeah. But uh, so the Iron Man three follows the story of Tony Stark, whose world is torn apart by a formidable terrorist called the Mandarin. Uh, and all those little quotes that I've been saying, they're all Mandarin sayings. Um, he uh, starts an odyssey of rebuilding and um, retribution or avenging. Just pure fashion revenge. <laughs> um, so uh, it was directed by Shane Black who uh, we know from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where he also worked with uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, who is the star of this film, along with Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, uh, Guy Pierce, and um, the aforementioned uh, Mandarin, played by Ben... Sir. 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 Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Um, it is uh, written by uh, Drew Pierce, who this is his first feature, and uh, Shane Black, who uh, wrote the aforementioned Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, Lethal Weapon, uh, The Last Boy Scout, uh, and The Last Action Hero. Um, some really interesting films, uh, definitely there. And the story is um, based on... Uh, on the comic books by Stan Lee, Dan Heck, uh, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. Um, as we know, as always, Stan Lee makes his little appearance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Iron Man 3 um, made a lot of money, made a lot of buzz. Um, seemed like this was going to be the Dark Knights or the Iron Man, Iron rises, Man rises or the, you know, the Dark iron man or whatever you want to call it uh it seemed like this was going to be a more somber you know questioning of tony stark and uh you know d delving much deeper into the character and you know a deeper past sort of his like um you know 
um, attitude and and his kind of like snarky way of life um, and humbling him via this supervillain Mandarin who, you know, in all kinds of ways seem to represent a similar thing like that Joker represented in The Dark Knight. You know, he has the weird voice and just kind of like mysterious guy, you know, whatever. So um, what do you think? Did they succeed in creating the that kind of level of, uh, of uh, film that we <laughs> saw from uh, Christopher Nolan? Do we call Iron Man 3 a film or do we call Iron Man 3 a movie? Uh, I would say the first two-thirds of Iron Man 3 are very close to film, and then the last third of it is a movie. Um, So with this movie... There is a very highly publicized, I think most people would know by now, in case you haven't, I'm not going to kind of overtly, uh, explicitly talk about what happens, but there is a very, very big narrative twist that happens um, about halfway through this movie that people, I think, have been very split on um, because of what it kind of represents for one of the characters, for kind of what that meant for the rest of the movie. And for... And for the future of Iron Man yeah, and in general, as far as like franchise. the series. Yeah, yeah. Franchise. Um, broad strokes, if this is the last standalone Iron Man that they make, I am 100% okay with that. And that's not to lead in by saying that I didn't like the movie. It's to kind of say, okay, I felt like we went, we fulfilled a trilogy. And I think to have a standalone movie would just feel redundant. Um, and a lot of that is also kind of public because of the casting issues that they're having, I think. Uh, but honestly, Iron Man making this kind of money, you yeah. want to tell me that they're going to stop making them? Well, see, this is this is the, the biggest thing that they face. Uh, so to, to delve a little bit into the casting thing, um, if in case you don't know, Robert Downey Jr. walked away from The Avengers 2 with about, it's alleged, as little and I say that sparingly, as little as $50 million, it is more than likely in accuracy closer to 70 to $75 million. And the reason for that being is that he negotiated a deal where he got you know a decent amount of money up front to standard pay, and then he was supposed to get a percentage of the gross. Obviously, this movie is the highest grossing movie of all time, and when that happens, you tend to walk away, even if your points are like, oh, give me like 5% of the gross, 5% of... It's like almost two billion nationwide now, like or or internationally, it's probably like two billion plus at this point, and it's kind of like that's a lot of money. Um, He is not signed on for anything else. He's allegedly in discussions, not for standalone movies, but for the Avengers two and Avengers three. A lot of his castmates were only signed for smaller roles um, and multiple roles, so. They, the ones who aren't signed for Avengers 2 are basically holding out and saying, hey, you need to pay us more money. And then I think with the exception of Chris Evans, which to go back to our earlier conversation, he just kind of, things aren't going the way that they should be for him. But part of his giant deal of, I think he had to sign for nine movies, which is why they went through three or four actors before he signed. Um, 
that was sort of his deal. Now, the catch to that, or sort of the upside to that, is that that's appearances. So Samuel L. Jackson talked about this a little bit where he's just like, he had like a six, seven, eight picture thing. Those cameos that he does at the end of Iron Man and you know Iron Man 2 and Captain America counts. So he doesn't even have to really be there for the full movie. He gets his, you know, probably 250, half a million, and he probably shoots for like two days. Conversely, if he's in like a full movie that takes, you know, two to three months to film, he still gets the same amount. And so that's kind of why Marvel is hardballing people because they're like, well, you're just signing an appearance deal. This isn't a per movie thing. And people right now are just kind of trying to negotiate. Not so much pay me the ridiculous, you know, of the 90s and 2000s era of you pay me $20 million. They're really just kind of saying, okay, give me a little bit more standard pay, but I do want some of that back end. And Marvel now is kind of like, well, we have two choices. We can either just recast you because these franchises exist regardless of you, or we pay you because we realize that the audience members have grown to love Chris Hemsworth as Thor, have grown to love, you know, these people as these specific roles. Robert Downey Jr. is in a unique position that you could argue no one will ever be able to follow him as Tony Stark because that performance is so specific, you'll just get people trying to imitate him as Tony Stark. Whereas Thor, taking nothing away from Chris Hemsworth, is a little bit easier to emulate or to like substitute for. Well, I think it, it, it's part of the character yeah, exactly, himself. Exactly. It, it, it's like um, Iron Man, I think, is more of a character-driven film. It's it's more about this guy. And, and Thor is, is kind of a more of a blank slate character. Yeah. And, and there's that difference, you know. There's just like one is a very character-driven Thing, you know where we kind of watch him you know like he has a very specific sort of things and and the other one is more like oh i'm the silent hero you know that's that's much easier to cast yeah it's just much easier to act and it's and it's sort of the thing with you know why batman's been interchangeable well like james in part bond. yeah in part why yeah. james bond will continue to be interchangeable because it's sort of this thing where it's like we get james bond always had kind of that uh i think I think people probably hated it when it first happened. Probably, like when yeah. when you had Sean Connery do I think two or three films and then they replaced him with um Roger Moore, everybody was like, Oh fuck this guy, we don't wanna And Roger <laughs> Moore had his yeah. own little bit of a different twist to it. But then Roger Moore with sort of time passing, Roger Moore became some people's favorite and then you recast it again and again and again there were some failures there were some successes and you know i think people got used to sort of that thing that like oh, okay so whoever's james bond they're on for like two three four yeah. films maybe and then we're gonna get a new one and it's almost like who's gonna be the next james bond at this point when when there's james bond so like with uh, Craig uh, with Daniel Craig now it's like who's going to be the next one they were asking already before the last movie came out yeah. you know so it's like it's kind of an interesting concept so I wonder if maybe in the long run they might not be as badly served with you know switching the Iron Man to yeah. somebody else and it's it's one of the things where I almost feel like if they did swap out Downey Jr. you would kind of need either to do like in Iron Man 4 with that person to go kind of into the Avengers or you would have to, uh, this other podcast kind of put this idea out there where it was like 
um, Iron Man isn't Tony Stark. It's, you know, Robert Downey Jr. will forever be Tony Stark, and we'll just have someone else, a different character. Um, and I don't know the depth of Marvel's wheelhouse for how that works, but you would just have someone else play Iron Man. That, I could think, would be the compromise between yeah, Marvel and Yeah, somebody takes over the... Yeah. Because then you can mantle. kind of act however you need to act, and it's we're not immediately comparing you to Robert Downey Jr. Maybe we're comparing your character to Tony Stark, but it's not like actor versus actor kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so with all that being said, Iron Man 3, I think, is the most standalone movie of this kind of giant, you know... Uh, television series like experiment that is the marvel thing with phase one phase two with everything funneling into the avengers and now uh, everything is going to funnel into avengers 2 it's yeah, set, it seems like now they, thor the dark world yeah. or something like that coming and then captain up america's and, thing and yeah. i don't know if there's a fourth movie i presume that there is i forgot what it is if, there, if they are doing one um, i don't think so just the, you think it's just the three i think those three because yeah. yeah um oh um it's something there was the talk about right? ant-man the guardians of the yeah. galaxy are separate uh yeah. thing that that's going to be something that um that guillermo del toro is working on um that's actually kind of exciting to me uh <laughs> because i really like his work um so we'll see um you know yeah um, but yeah, so then you have this phase two thing, which seems like it's going to be much more focused. Like each uh, movie is not going to be just a giant commercial for what comes next. Um, as far as this being the first movie that happens after the Avengers, I was a little torn on it because the Avengers did have this giant kind of scope of we now have aliens. The world now knows that aliens exist, that to a certain extent gods exist, that there are different dimensions, that there are this, this, these whole other a lot of things going on. And Iron Man 3, I think, chose the right way as far as character-wise. I did like how Tony Stark does kind of have this, what happens when you just kind of go through this, I think I'm about to die, save the world kind of aspect. Like, how do you go back to a normal life? How do you go back to the normal mundane things of, you know, and even though he's quote-unquote superhero, like, how do you save things knowing that you just stood so like shoulder to shoulder with a guy that is the Hulk with fighting aliens and all this stuff. I think that aspect of it was interesting. The part that I thought was a little lacking that was kind of throwaway lines here and there with a really great performance by this kid um, in the movie is I feel like there's no, there wasn't really a societal fallout of that. And I kind of have been wanting to see that portrayed in a the movie. They, they sort of did it. It's where I thought Heroes Season 2 was going to go. X-Men kind of addressed it in that series. But there just wasn't any kind of, all right, now that we live in a world where these things can happen, how is that actually affecting things? And I think maybe the president in the movie says something, but I just felt like that was lacking. And I feel like in a movie post-Avengers, somehow that needed to be addressed. Like somehow it's like, by the way, there was a giant hole in the sky leading to another dimension over New York. What does that mean? And then when you kind Didn't of- Didn't they close that? Yeah. But then it's like the only time they really sort of talked about it was like when War Machine shows up and he's talking to the president or there's like some dialogue there where it's like, yeah, it was kind of embarrassing that the military never got there. So now we're rebranding War Machine. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what would happen. But there just wasn't enough to that yeah. to me. Um, you know, and they really did hit you over the head with the theme of, you know, does is Tony Stark... Iron Man or his Iron Man Tony Stark kind of thing, which I liked. It was a little heavy-handed at times, but I was like, it's cool. 
uh action set pieces and everything was pretty good i thought the final battle again wasn't i don't know what it is about these movies that they can't seem to like make that work like this is the closest i'll have a rant about the final (laughs) battle in a minute like they got closer than iron man 2 and 1 but then i was just like still like there's no i like it's creative especially towards the beginning with the suits and how there's multiple like that kind of like it was like okay this is interesting but again like there just wasn't that like okay like tony stark is a badass moment and i kind of feel like he needed that or tony stark is smarter or tony stark is something it just kind of again felt like this you got lucky but this entire rest of the movie has portrayed you as someone who doesn't get lucky you're smart enough to plan or to improvise to figure this out um outside of that i enjoyed it i thought it was cool uh as i said before though i don't need to see another iron man movie kind of thing like a standalone movie i will enjoy him when he comes back in iron man 2 and maybe in in passing in these other movies if he shows up in thor if he shows up in captain talking about avengers too yeah yeah yeah. um but outside of that uh and then so then okay so after (laughs) (laughs) so after this this giant narrative sort of twist uh the movie then turned into it shifted into something tonally different. And I kind of was like, you either just kind of have to ride this tone out or this is going to kind of ruin your experience a little bit. And I was more towards the latter of all of a sudden Don Cheadle and him kind of had this buddy cop thing that just felt forced for some reason. Like it was cool. Like they have chemistry, but just kind of their whole thing. And I think it had a lot to do with, you know, that scene (laughs) yeah well um okay so so i'll 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 go on a little bit of a rant maybe i'll give a few things away i'll try to kind of prevent uh giving some of the major plot points away but um so first off to say i think um as far as from from someone who's not some some kind of a comic book purist or whatever else, and I always kind of preface that, to me these films have I I could care less what happens in the comic books, and you know when I talk to people who are like fans of the comic books, they're like, oh I can't believe they did that. I mean you know because in comic books blah blah blah, and I'm like I could care less. I I I don't care. What I want to see is a good movie. Yeah. that stands on its own two legs for someone who has never read a single one of Iron Man comic books. So the fact that Mandarin is like this, you know, character that whatever, so that the what they sort of, the direction that they went in with him in this film, I actually really appreciate it. And um, I, I think it was it was a cool sort of, turn of events uh it was a really kind of a nice uh nice way to 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 present some of the issues of today's world in general uh versus just kind of you know this this plain sort of you know as i said uh almost like joker like character yeah so so it became more than that which is which is really cool i i I think that's that's probably the best thing about this film. 
um, outside of um, you know Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. And in general, I, I you know I think everybody in it performed well. You know, um, they all play their parts to a really good extent. And you know, I love Guy Pierce. He does. He does a good job of, you know, playing sort of this guy that, you know, <laughs> gets screwed sort of in the beginning and kind of like comes back in the end, whatever. And um, so overall, that aspect of it, I enjoyed visually it was OK. You know, as you said, like that last battle is just somewhat disappointing because you feel like, yeah, but can't you do better with that? Yeah. Like, I know you can. I know someone can. Maybe not you, but I guess personally, I don't know. I I would hope that you do because you got hired and paid a lot of money to do it. Um, so that was a little disappointing. Um, but what really, really pisses me off about this film <laughs> is... How can you spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a film and make a film that does not make fucking sense? How do you do that? I does does did anyone watch this film and say why doesn't he call the suits in the beginning? Why does he wait until the final battle to call 40-something suits to help him fight these bad guys? Why is he, for most of the movie, struggling in a suit that's half broken down, not working properly? Uh, he's putting himself at danger, putting others at danger, the entire world, his love, the one person he can't live without... <laughs> And basically risks her life and everyone else's. And then in the end, we find out that all along, he had access to a whole bunch of perfectly functioning suits that he could have used and kicked everybody's ass in the beginning, been done with it after about 20 minutes of the movie, and we could have gone home. This is, to me, the Hobbit scenario. Why not call the fucking Hawks in the beginning of the movie and have them fly you over all this danger instead of you walking across mountains that beat the crap out of each other? I think and I'm sorry, yeah. it's just stupid. I think they would they would they would want you to believe that and you might even be talking about after this, which I think about you might be, but like they probably want you to believe that he despite his post-Avengers psychology, that he is still the arrogant Tony Stark and doesn't think that he needs to kind of thing. But I do, I totally agree with your point that there are moments in the movie that he could have, especially once I Jarvis, especially once Jarvis became back into being a scenario. I, that that I, I yeah. buy it that, yeah. you know, <clears throat> the suit was, which... Once again, explain to me, why is he charging a suit that functions off of his arc reactor in his chest? That's that's one sort I of thing, but let's, kind of, let's yeah. say that yeah. it needs to be charged and that he doesn't have access to Jarvis. Then you set the movie in that time period. He has to then be 
his human self fight, maybe use a few little things that he has at hand, whatever, finally gets in contact with Jarvis at the very end, you know, can call in the troops. But the whole fucking time he has access to, to Jarvis. He could call any of the suit. He's struggling. He's like, oh, I have to drive across country because this suit is done. Why not just call a different suit, fly across country, be done with it? What, what the fuck? <laughs> risks the life of that little boy. Risks the life of his, his girlfriend. Risks the life of like half the humanity. For what? For nothing. That's just stupid. And, and and it's not even like good enough to say that he was arrogant. I thought yeah. of that possibility. I was like, well, maybe they were trying to... And I was like, no, no, they, they weren't. They weren't. They just were like, oh, nobody will notice. Well, people notice. I noticed anyone who pays half an attention to this film will notice that. And it's just stupid. It's just... You know, it's such a dumb, dumb mistake. And, you know, so it really pissed me off. And it really, like, made me just, ugh. So, so I, you know, for that reason, I totally downgraded this film. Um, I I liked a lot of the the little things around it. You know, I kind of liked a little bit about his sort of interaction with the kid it was kind of an interesting you know yeah it was a nice little way yeah it was a nice little i think that they were the buddies like that was the best sort of buddy relationship even better than sort of don Cheadle. even though you know i really love don Cheadle. i think he's an amazing actor i kind of disagree that they have that great chemistry i think the lines are there and it seems like they both are acting at like a really high level and they're doing this like thing and they both have their great thing but it just doesn't seem like they mesh together it's like two puzzle pieces that just are slightly off and just something doesn't mesh but you know like neither one of them is i i think necessarily at fault it just somehow didn't I think quite th- work i, th- I think it was a dialogue thing because i think them together works but there is something about what they were saying to each other that felt like a Shane Black movie with Iron Man skin. Like it's like if you yeah. had like two different characters. Yeah, they didn't quite have fine. the 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 energy of, you know, when you talk about Lethal Weapon, yeah. you know, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, like they were just perfect together. I, I think maybe it was like um there wasn't like one of them that's just like completely crazy and one of them that's <laughs> kind of completely sane. It, it just seemed like, you know, I don't know. They were just maybe undecided slightly to a degree. I still... It, uh... Yeah, it's just, it, it frustrated me. So so those kind of stupid mistakes really make me pissed off. But I think um, on the other hand, as I said, there are definitely a lot of good things about the film. Um and if you can ignore, like, basically that the movie doesn't make any sense, if you can <laughs> ignore that whole aspect of it, you might be entertained. Um, as we said, uh, both of us think that the fights could have been better. Um, and the thing is, I, I don't think, know if that's I think a... uh, Ben Kingsley's performance is so good. Just so good. Like, I I was actually worried, to be honest, in the trailers. I was listening to him, and I was, like, seeing this, and I was like, oh, man, is this going to 
feel like they're kind of ripping off the Joker because of his whole cadence and because of his like whole like persona. Is it gonna feel a little bit like that? And then it didn't, and I was just like so relieved. And I thought it was really cool, nice little commentary, nice little aspect. And um, you know, outside of the fact that you know he could have resolved the the whole thing much earlier, and the <laughs> fact that I still, in the end. I'm sorry, but I still, in the end, did not have any understanding of why. Uh, well, for one, why she would want to get rid of a superpower that she gained. But let's say she doesn't want to deal with that. Okay. Um, and why he would do what he does at the very, very end. Which, to me, just there just wasn't enough sort of sense behind it there wasn't that feeling of like oh okay like in in the dark night you understand sort of he has to take the fall he has to sort of be the 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 bad guy in a way so he runs away whatever disappears we saw it you know i think it works well they've explained it really well in Iron Man, sort of the way it ends or the, the what he does at the very end, um, there's sort of like a sense that they were trying to accomplish a similar idea of like, oh, you know, this is the only way that he feels like he can da 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 da. It just didn't make any sense. It just felt like, oh, let's just do it. And and it, yeah. there wasn't like a sense to me that throughout the film this was inevitable. Yeah, I mean, I guess with like the second one, they definitely explained in great detail what was going on with the you know the stuff in his chest. And I think with this movie, it could have just been a thing of okay, let's wrap up a trilogy, so let's try to address as many of these ongoing things as they wanted to. Um, now that I'm thinking back on it, like I think with Avengers and with uh, Iron Man 2, it didn't so much power the suit, but there was some tie-in ability with it, because he definitely still like ran out of juice, um, which is also something I've always kind of been curious about, that it seems like it shouldn't, but... Okay, um, well, I mean, yeah. even if he does, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Okay, yeah, so it's not powerful enough to power this suit and yeah. fire and do all this stuff. Okay, fine. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> but uh, it just, um, you know, and that's the yeah. least of my issues. That's just something yeah. I read and I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I thought that was the case, but I guess maybe not. But, but yeah, overall, your... it was just, yeah. But yeah, with as far as like the Mandarin stuff, like I definitely want to make sure like it's like I, I actually liked what happened one of my coworkers was like, oh, I was expecting them to step back from that in the post-credits kind of thing or for that to be, like, part of this whole, like, smoke and mirrors thing. Um, but the reason that, like, bothered me so much, not so much for the comics, is I just wanted him to go up against something that was, like, you could lose. Like, it's, like, like had that kind of, like, like stakes to it kind of thing that doesn't really happen anymore. I agree. I mean, and he could not lose because he had 40 fucking suits <laughs> just that he was sitting on his ass on. Whereas when they went Granted, with it, it, it they, like, they almost kill him at the end, kind of, I yeah. guess. But yeah, once again, not quite understand it, but whatever. So what would you give 
the third and potentially final um, standalone. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not impressed. I I'm giving it two and a half stars, maybe. Yeah, two and a half. I'll give it that. Like That's, I, you know, it's yeah. just it's below average to me. It's just I can't believe that a film with that kind of a budget and that kind of production <laughs> production and production value yeah. that no one said, hey uh, guys, does that make any sense? And everybody said. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. it's just so sloppy, um, and I just felt like it didn't really um, live up to the potential and to what they were trying to do with it. So, yeah, I mean, I would give it a uh, three out of five, just because I feel like it's just an average episode in the. I guess this would be like episode number like seven or six in like this like giant series um and really it just has a lot to do with just that umph as i said it just is missing from this movie and it kind of it almost would have had it i think had that narrative twist to not have happened and they would have just gone full tilt with this is who you know this is what we're dealing with in this movie versus kind of how it kind of turns out and it's like nothing against you know the ultimate kind of situation but it's just like i really was looking forward to watching these two like forces it go does kind of end. it does kind of really become cheesy towards the end yeah and i think even like the effects are a little cheesy i also wish that don Cheadle would have said oh you breathe fire bro instead of just you breathe fire <laughs> <laughs> And that's why he lost the star. Exactly. <laughs> Just so you know. Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. And so, catching up. And yeah, catching up finally with the this opening, week. with this opening weekend. So we've gone over several weeks here. J.J. Abrams' third movie, which I actually, uh, I guess his fourth movie, which I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. He really hasn't done a whole lot. You know, he's... He's, he's known for TV. a lot of yeah, like TV, TV stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but Star Trek Into Darkness, the sequel that has come three to four years later, uh, made seventy million in its opening weekend, um, which seems small when you compare it to like Iron Man three and everything else. Iron yeah. Man, <laughs> but is a really solid opening. Uh, after the crew of the Enterprise find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. It is directed by J.J. Abrams, who's responsible for Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek, and Super 8. Stars Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Carl Urban, Simon Pegg, John Cho, and Anton Yelkin, as well as several others from uh, returning from the first one. Um, is written by Roberto Orchi and Alex Kurtzman, who um, are the writing team, um, heavily involved in Lost, but movies-wise, people like us, Cowboys and Aliens, uh, Transformers 2 and 3, as well as the original Star Trek, and good old reliable Damon Lindelof, who's responsible for Prometheus. Okay, I've let you, I've let you soak that in. And then Cowboys <laughs> and Aliens. Um, <laughs> created by yeah. Gene Roddenberry, originally... Uh, so Star Trek Into Darkness, um, had quite a bit to live up to being the sequel to a movie that people were expecting to be terrible. And I think walked out of the first one kind of like, that was better than I was expecting. Even though diehards were like, you sort of got rid of a lot of the 
Star Trekness and made it a little bit more accessible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think there was kind of a a dual thing with that. Um, I think I think he he did a good job of sort of placating um, the Star Trek fans because he's going to back to the original Star Trek, so using the original characters. But then he uh, what they did was basically what the, uh, they they just kind of had someone from the future cut into the past and change, basically split off, create this alternate reality that then kind of leads away from, you know, the actions that happen. It doesn't negate anything that happened before that, but it just kind of makes it like, oh, okay, now we have this fork in a road, yeah. and this is one way that this whole history could have gone if if this thing altered the past. Yeah, the one thing that uh, I was curious about, like, I was like, it, it would be a very nice touch. This will probably never happen because they would have to have the foresight to know that this would be the final um star trek movie not into darkness but just when they finally kind of wrap this up if at the very end of it you know post credit sequence is them getting a signal from v'ger for like those people who remember from like the very original movie right it's just like yeah. that would be like an awesome just like okay now we're caught up kind of thing well but it's not that they're caught up yeah well yeah because some of it is because it's split. everything yeah. is altered yeah i mean they could that could happen, but yeah. it would just like be. Yeah. Wait, Vizier wasn't that in the Next Generation? That was in the Next Generation. I think generation. that was. I think that was. Uh, no, I think it was literally the very first uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've started mixing and them up. Like, I saw like. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So with this movie, you know, we've had uh, several sequels. Pretty much everything has been a sequel. Like uh, majority of movies that have come out yeah, in the know, last right? year, year and a half, two years. Um, I think both of us really enjoyed the first one, especially because of the aspect of, you know, this, this movie, as I said, like the things that I really like in these movies with giant ensemble cast is the bringing together of the team, like how all of these people kind of finally lock into place for kind of this final battle. Now that this is the second movie where the team is established, they are kind of already a family. How do you think this movie actually works as far as that, like do we still get the same attention paid to all these characters? Are these characters still growing? Well, um, I think for me, um, I think it's really good. Uh, I think they did a fantastic job of setting this whole thing up. Um, I feel like this is not a long time after sort of the first film, you know, I, I can't remember what they sort of, what the uh, differences in time, but um, it's kind of this, this whole thing where basically what happens is um you have um you have this captain who in this moment of crisis became captain kirk much younger than he was in sort of the i think not much but somewhat younger than he was in the original series uh i would say um and so so you kind of have this young captain. He's still, you know, a little bit, you know, high on his own sort of <laughs> uh, energy and ability and whatever. And he, we, we watch him sort of in the beginning uh, handle certain things in, in certain ways that get him into trouble with uh, sort of the authority, uh, the, which is the Starfleet. Um and and that makes sort of perfect sense to me. 
there's someone who uh, rose during a time of crisis, um, somewhat with blind luck and somewhat with sort of determination and and, uh, ability to sort of make these decisions. He succeeded in a time of crisis, but that doesn't necessarily make you qualified or whatever to to sort of be the person to to lead a group of people you know throughout and so it creates um this kind of a nice character who who is you know somewhat struggling with you know thinking that he's got it all but then it kind of gets cut down a little bit to size and um and then you know Again, sort of time of crisis happens. He uh, he's now rising again to occasion, but but he's learning lessons, and I think it was it was really nice sort of way of to to watch him learn lessons and and do all this stuff. Um, I think some of the characters were a little bit short shifted in this film. Uh, one, I think Zoe Saldana, you know, she just doesn't have a lot. You know, there's a little bit that's mostly based on her relationship with uh spock and then um you have mccoy uh carl urban as dr mccoy who has a you know once again it seems like okay well we have to involve him a he little felt bit like much and more of he's a just kind of, of yeah this time around he's just kind movie. of there he doesn't really like fulfills some purpose but not really like necessarily what he needs to do um also uh anthony anton yelchin uh who plays um um chekhov you know i just i you know i i to be honest i was a little annoyed by him (laughs) and it's it's odd but i just found him a little annoying I think the accent is just a bit over the top um feels almost tad like fake and tacked on um you know it it just he was a non-character to me um I really loved Simon Pegg I think he brings just the right amount of comedy and sort of like interesting kind of cool thing to his character and i i think he was well written and you know probably and just you know really well acted um and so that's kind of the breakdown of the characters and you know benedict cumberbatch does a fantastic job as as uh as villain which i will say it now if you don't want to hear it cover your ears for like 15 seconds but I mean, if you don't know it by now, he is Khan Noonien Singh, um, and and it's it's a really interesting twist on the story because I once I got home here, uh, I ended up watching the original episode because uh, he makes an appearance in the original series first before appearing in one of the films. Um, so when he appears in the original series, it was kind of interesting to see that. It's so cheesy. I mean, just that whole show is just beyond <laughs> cheese. Um, but um, it's kind of cool to see that character and sort of all the little details that came out of that TV episode and that were carefully cared for within this film. Um 
there's so many like little th- things like his team and how big it is and like and then you sort of understand oh okay so in this alternate world they didn't discover him this is what happened this is how things ran you know yeah. versus you know how they happened in the other show because there was a different you know different things happened so um so that was really interesting uh to see uh in hindsight and um yeah so overall for all of that it was really kind of cool i enjoyed it um i'm not the type of person that really like gets so upset at you know little changes that are made like for example the way the klingons look they look you know somewhat different they're updated that's just the way they look now you know they were changed from what they looked in the original series to what they looked in uh the next generation you know you get over it you deal with it it's it's fine it, they still kind of retain their their idea and sort of who they are as uh as people and so so it was kind of cool to see it um i really enjoyed the story i liked how the characters were grown i like the logic behind it i like that at times you're kind of like oh yeah is he trusting are they trusting him are they not trusting him what's happening what's going on um so i really liked that aspect of it um you know it it was really cool i overall i also liked that they were forced to take at you know in the end sort of some extreme measures sort of to to uh <laughs> you know maintain what they did and um you know they're but overall, uh, you know, there there were a couple of little things where I'm like, okay, that's a little cheesy, maybe a bit much, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, I I think when when a triple makes uh, um, a um, what would you call it a cameo appearance in the film, and I don't know from for the for people who have seen sort of some of the original series episodes. Uh, trouble with the tribbles is in, is one of the episodes um and that was kind of a little maybe much on the <laughs> cheese but otherwise you know overall i i enjoyed it yeah i mean it's good um it's a, i think it's a really solid sequel um thematically i thought it was really really well done on the whole like familial aspect of it how you have you know the admiral and his family aspect of it you have the okay you're my crew and i consider you my family what you do for like your crew like that whole thing i thought that was really really well handled the action aspect of it um the go big or go home kind of thing was handled extremely well in this and i feel like he was able to kind of be like if even some of the fighting that happens that was yeah. You know, not the best that I've seen, but yeah, but it was pretty damn good. And there were like things that like you wonder about that you're like, oh, I wonder what would happen if that they kind of like do in the movie, which I thought was really cool. Um, with like the warp drive stuff and their abilities there, and kind of just like little things like that. Um, just that that worked really really well. The issues I have with this movie are more of I'm worried what's going to happen next because i think they kind of work as they needed to in this movie but i think going forward could be troublesome one being i don't think the characters with the exception of spock and 
Kirk, but you could argue what Star Trek is ultimately about, as to your point, don't really have anything to do in this movie. And because of that, I was like, you know, it's cool that they're there and it's the same actor and it's the same character. But in reality, it could just be any other person. But you know why that's that's the case. And I, I was thinking about this last night and I realized why that that is the issue. Um, it's because it's a movie yeah. versus a TV show. Now, you're watching a TV show um, and you have, you know, I don't know, 20 episodes a year uh, and you're on for even even the, f- the first show was on for five years. Um, three and then almost got canceled and then two more. And um, <laughs> but you you have the freedom to put to give entire episodes to side characters now. The next generation is the one that I watch most, um, and and I'm, uh, you know, I grew up with, and you know, know, and so so in in that, you know, the main character is Captain John Luke Picard, and you know, but then you have all these other characters that get their episodes, they get their strengths, and they get their sort of, uh, uh, and and that's why they build strong people build strong relationships towards these other characters like data is like one of the most uh, popular characters you know and you have uh you know wharf and you have you know and all of them had their own like episodes that were more based on them like involving everybody else but it was they were the protagonist of this episode and and so you can do that when you have 20 episodes that's 20 hours you yeah. know and and with a film you you just can't you can't say we're going to well the third film is going to be all about Scotty you know you can't do that um, yeah i mean and, i'm and, talking and you have to be a little careful so so that's going to be the issue but it's going to have to be carried by Kirk and Spock all of these movies are going to have to be carried by the two of them and their interplay and they're the buddies Everybody else is sort of the supporting people. They're going to have maybe their two minutes on screen. They have something funny to do or say or something interesting. And if they do it well, it's going to be just enough to placate the fans of that character from the original show, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't talking so much about uh, that as much like with screen time, as much as I was more of just like when those people are on screen... I would argue that they share the same amount of screen time as they do in the first one, with some of them obviously having a little bit more than others, but I felt like there was more of an actual everyone interacts with everyone moment in the first one that doesn't happen in this. Like, Scotty, I think, talks to two people in the entire thing, but they all know he's there, but, like, he only interacts with Kirk and with Spock and then with... uh, well, you guys already said, uh, with Khan, and then he interacts with um, Chekhov to a certain extent, and then it's like, Chekhov again, like, he's on the bridge, he only says his couple lines, like, it wasn't so much that there wasn't enough screen time, it's that they kind of relied so bare minimum on pre-existing characterization that they didn't really do anything with that which why why it yeah. felt to me like it was like oh you literally could have had any given person be what who, who sulu was any given person be and it's like yes i think there was a lot going on in the movie and to your point like there wasn't time to have character moments but i felt like there wasn't like interaction stuff like even with like scotty like everything everybody remembers the like just can't do it like captain like i don't have the power like him screaming that and it's like i felt like that moment 
like in this movie if that happened would be that moment where you're like oh okay cool like scotty's working really hard to do this and he has like that moment but it's just like that's something you know there's just like okay i'm I'm sorry that moment like uh, with him is just one of the best moments as he's like running through it's just like one of the best moments because it's like Uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah like he he has his moment for sure um and I think Ohura, they kind of try to do it with, you know, when they land on Kronos kind of thing. Uh, but, like, you know, to your, like, to your point, like, with Anton Yelkin's character, like, Chekhov was kind of pointless, like, could have been not in the movie. Uh, Sulu, again, kind of the same thing, especially when yeah. they really went out of their way in the first right. movie to be like, he's on an away mission, he actually knows how to fight. Cool, Sulu has a little bit more depth. Like, we didn't need to, like, spend an hour with well, him. Well, I, I think they tried to do it. It's just that they were so busy with trying to tell the entire story to not have the energy or the time to commit to yeah. developing the characters. The thing is, um, I guess they were probably like, well, you know, we kind of developed him a little bit in the first one. We're going to add like a step or two like here if we can, like they did with, uh, you know, Sulu when, yeah. you know, he's like says his thing. And, and that was that was kind of cool. That gives you just just that quick yeah. moment. But yeah, the problem is, as I said, with the movie, you don't have that ability. Yeah. And, it, you know, unfortunately, I know what you mean when you say what you're saying, but the screen time comes in play with that because if you don't have screen time, you don't really have the ability to develop them. You can't take these characters out. You ha- yeah. They have to be there. And they just didn't have the time to play with them and to do anything with them because they were busy telling this sort of story, which they told well, I yeah. think. They just didn't, you know... Yeah, I mean, and then the the one thing that I will say kind of like to, to back up a little bit is is I think I'm actually really impressed by the way that I know J.J. Abrams had talked about, you know, it's difficult to walk into a movie now and be surprised by something. Um, I remember like Benedict Cumberbatch was basically just like, yeah, it's really annoying to not be able to tell you what's going on as like a character kind of thing. But at the same time, it was awesome to be like in the theater and like to him say that and then to have like that that hush rush over the crowd where it was like oh like that's awesome because none of them like you know no one had been spoiled with that like detail and then it's like the same thing which we spoiled for you now i Um, spoiled for you now and he didn't even warn you before he said yeah so (laughs) either way either way this will still go up when it usually does but um but then it's like you have the the um the, the which sort of leads to my third sort of point um i'm worried about i i really enjoyed the cameo in the first movie because it was a way of being like okay we're kind of in the same timeline but we're changing oh, things slightly. I, I know what you mean but in this movie i was like now i feel like we're at this point where we're gonna blatantly sort of reference that thing like it wasn't so much like oh cool like if you remember the first movies the series or whatever this is happening as you said a little well, bit I differently mean, there's like... no secret that that uh spock prime is in this timeline also yeah. and there's a small moment with him but i you know 
Like it was kind of like, what happens next? What are we expecting? And it was just like this. Yeah, but but yeah. there there's also that aspect where he was like, listen, you know, yeah. I told you before, I'm not gonna give you information because yeah. that already will kind of you know yeah. mess with you know your decision, your growth as a person, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's already the whole timeline is already fucked. Yeah. Um. So you know, you gotta live your life the way you would live your life if I wasn't there, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So, so I, you know, I appreciate that, you know, and, and, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's spoilerist to say that he makes a short cameo in here because everyone's aware that he's in this timeline and they, you know, in time of crisis, they might call up on him. <laughs> um, the yeah, end. So it's, you know, it's a really solid movie that I hope, now that they've done the whole like you know i'm as i said i'm worried about where they're going to go next if they're going to continue going in the direction of is this just a kirk's box story which i think is fine you know because you do have like i think more or less it's gonna it's gonna be uh, they have to. I mean, they can change protagonists of the, of the films. Now. Yeah, you know, again, like not so much that it just becomes like all of a sudden there's an away mission and Ahura's on it, and it's like on her for forty five minutes because that's almost what I was telling you before. What happens with Transformers Two and why that was extremely annoying because it was just like okay, let's get back to this because that's what we were here for. Yeah. Um, but like, it, I think there's something in the interdynamic between that crew that they need to figure out again because I, cause, yeah, cause, I mean, cause, they, cause they, almost they like can a, involve, involve the crew a little bit more, maybe like figure out sort of a story that will kind of challenge all of them just a tad bit, you know, more in, in a way that, you know, they might not have been pushed in this, you know, like yeah. where, where, where Kirk and Spock will rely on the expertise that some of the other characters can provide that they don't have. Where yeah. that's that's sort of the idea of like a crew, you know, like yeah, I may be the leader and he may be like, you know, my co leader or whatever, you know, the way their sort of uh interaction is. But like I am not the best pilot here. Zulu is. I am not, you know, nowhere close to being the best engineer scotty is you know kind yeah. of thing where we're like this is why i agree this is why he's here you know because it's one of those things where it's just like the magic is definitely still there between kirk and spock like that like especially when he's being reprimanded in the beginning and they just had that whole thing with like pike was just really funny it was really cool um and they're just kind of dynamic in the way that they're kind of you know they're storyline goes throughout the movie and how things end up and everything but then it's just like you know Uhura is fine kind of how and if she wasn't if they didn't have that relationship with Spock she would almost be a pointless character to a certain extent but I do like how they're like playing with that but then what ends up happening is the further away you get from that I just I almost feel like even if it's just like kind of in passing kind of stuff and yeah there are people who have specific roles and blah 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 but it's like calling back to the Enterprise and we're talking to you know Sulu this time instead of whatever just like that thing that kind of reminds people that they're around and then allows them that like two or three lines of like personality dialogue and then move on kind of thing mm-hmm. um but you know I think to your point like with this movie they did have a lot that they had to like bite off and chew especially with this you know Commander Harrison and all this kind of stuff going on um so I'm hoping that now that they're on a five-year mission to explore new worlds and blah 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 that like 
they'll get back to that core center of the crew. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be too bad for them to have to to almost like feature, you know, some of the characters in in you know in the film for different things, you know. So, yeah, I mean, in a way, uh, Scotty did have most to do in this film. Um, so outside of the other two, I would say, um, you know. And then of course you've got Bones finally got to do. I don't know if he did it in the first one. The whole like damage him, I'm a this, not a that. Like I'm, I want to say he does in the first one, but I like rewatched it Thursday and I don't remember him doing that. But it was. You know. I I did I I wanted to rewatch it. I didn't uh, I didn't end up doing it. But yeah, it was interesting. Anyway, so but for those of you who maybe have seen Star Trek Into Darkness, if you want to see sort of uh, the alternate universe version of Encounter with Khan Noonien Singh, um, which is t- terribly cheesy, and if you can get past the cheese, you can sort of uh, get a glimpse of the characters and sort of the ideas where some of those ideas grew from, um, which is kind of cool um is you know just check out uh look up what tv show what what episode it is it's in the first season i believe episode like 22 23 something like that and i checked it out and it was kind of cool i I still plan on seeing the wrath of khan uh which is the second star trek movie which is also on netflix so i still plan on checking that out to to see the full-blown comparison uh star trek what is your uh i i'm i'm giving this four stars so i got three of them with four four star uh ratings um i think right three um anyways i i've really enjoyed it i think um it you know it did a really great job of sort of uh showing some of the fallacies of some of the characters and and then growth of uh, them um you know, it gave them a, a an interesting enemy to fight, I think, um, while still sort of, as I said, respecting the history of it. And that was kind of cool. Um, I, I like that balance that they're striking there. So uh, I would say, yeah, I would say probably about uh, close to four stars. Yeah, close, four stars, four stars even. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm. If if we were really, really getting down to it, if we're going the, uh, you know, as they, I think IGN does the hundred point scale type thing. This, uh-huh. this, this would, uh, this would be in that like thirty point like eight kind of thing. I think it's, it's, you know, it's a solid movie. As I said, like it's, there are things that I, it's, it's not so much that I didn't like about it. There are things that I'm worried that if they continue down like particular direction, that the third movie won't be good um and now that there's a possibility that jj abrams won't be involved with the third one uh, at least directing probably producing and such because he's you know doing star wars next um it'll it's it's it'll be interesting i mean it's it's a it's gonna be a very interesting way of whoever comes in to direct the third one if it's not him and kind of what they're gonna choose to deal with yeah it'll be uh i'm i'm yeah you know, you're always worried when somebody who was so invo- involved and uh, did such a great job, like, moves away from a project and then somebody else picks it up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, should we even do the last film standing segment? It's just kind of tough because it's multiple weeks. I would but say I guess... uh, a top three. Yeah. Top three, really? Yeah. How many mo- films do we have? And nine movies. Nine movies. Yeah. Okay, I guess top three uh, <laughs> is, is fair enough. So so what were your last film standings? <laughs> uh, the last films uh, that you would choose, the top three out of all these films that we named. Uh, so uh, to quickly recap, uh, disconnect. No, there's no Forty-two. Recap. Mud. Pain and Gain. Oblivion. The Iceman. Iron Man Three. The Great Gatsby. And Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, number one. I guess I should go in substance in reverse order. Uh, number three. Yeah. Number three, I would actually say is The Iceman. Um, it's the a really cool Ice movie. Man it's a very, very cool movie. Very solid, as I said. Uh, if only for Chris Evans, actually. Um, watch that movie and kind of be like, wow, the guy who plays Captain America is almost disappears completely into this role. And then check out some of his stuff that went straight to DVD um, on Netflix and just kind of understand that he's actually a really solid actor that kind of has been unfortunately uh, pigeonholed or whatnot, or maybe his agent or something, but... Number two. Number two. Lesson number two. Because <laughs> um, I know what number one is. Uh, and three always goes to that. I'd recommend this, but not everyone will like it. Uh, mm. I actually will go with number two. I'll say pain and gain. Um, pain and gain. Pain and gain. Uh, Michael Bay known for he literally has the record i think transformers 2 has the most explosions that are seen on screen of any movie of all time and then you watch pain and gain and you're kind of like how is that the same person uh pain and gain as we said a lot of fun great great performance by the rock and uh disease point i kind of forgotten about that scene uh never forget (laughs) that this is still based on a true story yes pain and gain uh, number and one. Number one. Number one is Disconnect. Uh, that is a movie that is on my list. Um, I think that list now probably reads Spring Breakers, Disconnect, Stoker, and I think there was a fourth one that, if I'm forgetting, is probably going to be forgotten for the rest of the year. But <laughs> if I'm forgetting, it's going to be forgotten. It's going to be forgotten. Uh, couldn't recommend that movie enough. After you watch that movie, you will definitely think quite a bit about your footprint on social media and what you say to people and the people that you were friends with on there. So there you go. Well, um, so for me, I'd have to say, uh, since I'm down to six films, actually, uh, since I didn't see three of these, which are Great Gatsby, Mud, and Disconnect are three that I didn't see. Um, I'd have to go, um, hmm. that's a tough one. Um, number three, three, number <laughs> three. Um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, the Iceman. The Iceman cometh, uh, in place number three. Um, really enjoyed that film. Um, very good performances, uh, really cool kind of, you know. Um, yeah, just, just loved the acting and all of that. So, I mean, not to go over it again. Um, then 
Uh, and number two, I will have to go with pain and gain. Um, pain and gain, as you said, uh, Michael Bay, really great acting, really cool story told in a really good way. Um, fun, entertaining, disturbing, as you're reminded that it's a, still a true story. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then number one, uh, you know, I have to I go with Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, I'm, I'm a Star Trek fan. So for me, that's kind of a, you know, even though, as I said, I'm more of a the next generation Star Trek fan. I'm not like bound to these characters emotionally as I am to the next generation cast. But um, I, I was really, you know, entertained, pleasantly surprised by sort of, um, you know, not by the villain in a way, because um, that was kind of mentioned and I did expect it um, but overall I was I really enjoyed um, the film itself I was really entertained I thought visually it looked really nice uh, very beautiful I didn't see it in IMAX I just saw it in regular uh, theater and um, but I thought it was really good um, so that's that's pretty much uh, yeah, my uh, dad asked me about the uh, the 3D, and um, I saw IMAX 3D Lincoln Center, and for like that opening scene, I was like, I think I'm going to regret this because it was just like it was the same thing that they showed in front of whatever that movie was, I think Dark Knight Rises or whatever, and I was just like, this is okay, and this seems a little, uh, I don't know. And then after that, I don't actually remember noticing it after that. And that's why, like, it was interesting because I kind of forgot that I saw it in 3D um, because of that until, you know, my dad texted me earlier. And I was just like, huh. And I was like... How about that moment when the ship takes off? Like, mind you, I wonder if there's going to be purists who are going to have issues with the whole streaks oh, no. and stuff. Yeah. But uh, how does that... How did that look in 3D? I mean, it's cool. I mean, because it's cool. just like, you do have that, like, you know, it's just like everything stretches and then you just get that little, like crystals i guess uh dilithium crystals maybe um but yeah i mean because outside of that opening scene where i almost feel like he was like okay there i have the opportunity because he has talked about that he actually i don't think he shot it in 3d he was just like he did the post-conversion process but he actually is one of the advocates of being you can actually do a lot with it it takes time and you can definitely screw it up kind of thing but he's like yeah you, no, you do I have agree. to like and I think he probably was like, okay, let me really, really pay attention to the first scene. Because that's the one where it's just like, you're after running through the trees, there's all this stuff. There's like two or three shots where they throw the javelins and you do kind of like flinch because it like comes out of the screen at you. But then after that, like after that scene's done, you get the whole like Star Trek logo. Like I literally don't remember it being in 3D after that. And I guess that's kind of like a testament to how it should be like it should kind of just yeah that, be immersion that was part of like what i really enjoyed about uh prometheus the look of it yeah. was the fact that you most of the time just didn't really think about it being in 3d and it just looked really beautiful and just added that little bit of depth to the whole thing and that, that was just kind of made it a little bigger and made it feel a little kind of yeah 
anyways uh so yeah that's uh that's the movie reviews we're like three hours into it <laughs> so i i guess we should probably wrap it up uh you know yeah. kind of in quick succession so um any plugs of the week brandon so with regards to plugs of the week uh a show that I started watching yesterday and watched all 10 episodes. Um, watch Continuum. Um, it's on Netflix streaming. I think it's a two-season show. Only one season is on Netflix. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, it doesn't end in a ridiculous fashion, so you won't feel like, uh, why did I just do this to myself? Um, but it's a really cool way of introducing technology into... Um, a television show and uh, the basic premise just being uh, prisoners and a cop from the future get sent back to our world 2012 from the year 2077 and she basically is trying to hunt them down they're a activist group that basically are considered terrorists in the future in a present day they kind of come off as more activist but there are kind of violent things that they're doing in order to achieve their goals um, and it's really interesting to watch how her technology helps her solve crimes the way that people rely on instinct and gut feelings now and forensics and she is able to do so much with just her again like technology definitely worth a look and you can even watch just the pilot and get a really full sense of what the show is going to be like um before you decide to to jump through the entire series yeah i actually uh i, I put that on my queue because I, I i saw it on there and i was kind of flipping just to see what else is on there i just kind of uh, noticed it and I was like, oh, it's kind of intriguing. So let me put it on the queue. So uh, I might have to check that out. Yeah. But um, I uh, I finished Cheers, which I don't know if I which one? mentioned that Cheers. Oh, Cheers! Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Was, uh, congratulations! Two hundred and seventy-five episodes. I'm still working through <laughs> Frasier. So you know what? So I started watching Frasier. I watched like the first four episodes, and I was like, I can't get into this for some reason. Like I was, just it's like, a yeah. it's a different show. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. different show, and I I think that's why it was successful because it wasn't like trying to pull off of Cheers, but it really like the characters get developed, and it's really kind of a certain sense of humor that they have that um, that I really enjoy. But yeah, I don't know. I think it gets better as as it goes along because you kind of get get to know the characters. Um, so uh so so anyways um but i would i would say for me it would have to be um i'm gonna toss out hemlock grove um i checked it out on one night i was like oh let me just see the pilot so i can kind of maybe discuss it on here and just mention if i liked it or not because it's uh it's another one of the netflix original series and you know not bad like it's it's nothing amazing. It's nothing that's gonna blow you away. Maybe it will for some people, but it's uh it's not bad. It's kind of like they're they're you know playing with the whole idea of werewolves and 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 vampires and stuff like that. And they're kind of I guess kids in 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 sort of um high school and stuff. But um but there's a certain sense to it that even though some of the main characters are kids in high school that it has a you know it, it feels a little bit more thought through than than sort of some of the um you know teeny yeah. sort of shows so it, it's not bad it's it's kind of interesting um has some interesting sort of people like lily taylor and um yeah and uh famcon jansen is in it right. um 
she plays this kind of really interesting character too so so yeah i mean there's uh there's that um it, it might be worth checking out if you kind of like that um sense of it um yeah mild horror i would say you know one of those like newfangled uh, shows that that's maybe not as teeny as, as as some of the other ones are but yeah it's like adult swim for cw is that is that accurate no adult swim is like more when you say adult swim i think comedy um i mean this is kind of more like you know these are the creatures you know and and uh and as you kind of go along you're you're finding out more about these people and it kind of reveals itself uh slowly which is kind of interesting because then you can kind of binge on and i think i watched like the first four episodes in a row because it kind of grabbed me and i just wanted to see what what was kind of happening and um yeah it was it was pretty interesting you know it was like these two sort of characters who who don't seem like they fit together but then kind of they they're starting to maybe kind of develop a friendship but there's still sort of really that kind of resistance and it's just it's kind of an interesting yeah aspect to it so yeah to catch you yeah and so listeners for the grand reunion tour of episode 118 that is a wrap you can tell your friends we are back is this the longest episode we did uh i feel like we've broken three hours before but it would have only been like once maybe maybe yeah yeah three hours we're hitting it uh so welcome back to gildan's island aka the last film standing you can find us on iTunes via the web and iTunes itself, as well as Stitcher.com via their website or various mobile apps where you can subscribe, rate, and review us. And then, of course, you can follow myself on Twitter at Lamar Diablo. It's L-A-M-A-R Diablo, one word. You can follow Zed on Twitter at... Last Z Standing. And as always, contact us at feedback at lastfilmstanding.com. Small shout out. There you go, Joseph. We have finally recorded another podcast. I'll stop texting me about it. <laughs> well, now you have plenty yes. of listening to do. Yes. All right. And we will see you next time. Probably, yeah, we will see you for the fast and the furious. But not today. But not today. <laughs> there will never see me coming. And tell your friends. <laughs>